1: It is a Blue Friday, as a matter of fact.
2: I did not have chai tea today. I had iced coffee, if you're wondering. Oh, so you
1: decided if now that we now that you know the caffeine's there, you're just going staring for at it, at right? The skin.
2: I just had to switch it up today.
1: I mean, good lord, Eddie! It's like you, you figured out that that white claw you'd been drinking actually has alcohol, so you said, "Let's go straight to the vodka, baby." Wait, white claw has you. alcohol. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Right. Uh, that is Eddie Garrison, who, by the way, the CEO of the company and fine drinker of, ch- of chai tea. Uh... Jimmy Cook, who's the president of the company, is here as well. It is Querying Company on a Friday. Happy Friday to you A on 93.5, The Fan. We got a lot to talk about today because the Pacers, funny, you open the season, you have this incredible start, your your offense is electric, you score 143 points, you set some franchise marks, and then you kick back and relax for a couple of days. But they get back at it tomorrow, Cleveland Cavaliers. Scott Agnes going to join us from Fieldhouse Files. Substack coming up at 1 o'clock. Kevin Bowen at 2 o'clock today. And then I'm kind of excited about this. I, I had this... I kind of ripped this idea off elsewhere. But there's a radio station in Kansas City that occasionally has me come on to just do like a quick one or two question thing about Indianapolis sports. And I it, I had been doing it... I, I don't know, I've probably done it five times. And after a couple of them, I figured out because I could hear when the guy would bring me on and then as he would rap that he was going to you know he would say like hey jake thanks and then i could hear before they would disconnect it that he's like now let's go to you know scott smith in buffalo you know whatever and i thought that's kind of a fun idea so we're going to do a thing we're going to experiment with it eddie i'm going to put you at real task here okay i've dialed up some guys that i know in radio and jimmy you got a hold of one as well from i'm trying to think of what cities we should do because i put some feelers out to some guys to see if they could do it for a thing called the two minute drill where we're just going to go and rapid fire get the perspective on a couple of cities that would have sports going on that are pertinent either to the nfl or what's going on in indy elsewhere and we'll just do rapid fire you know here's Jake Query from Cleveland for two minutes. Boom. Two questions. Let's go on to the next. Um, I thought Cleveland would be good because the Pacers are playing the Cavs. Uh, Eddie, if you had to pick a city, what where should we go?
2: Um, let's go to Denver.
1: Okay. That's not bad because Brandon uh, Brandon Cristal has been a buddy of mine for a number of years. Is in Denver. We could probably get a hold of him. He went to KU. went to Kansas. Yeah, they're playing the Chiefs this um, week.
2: Uh, a lot of going uh, stuff going on with Russell Wilson, Sean Payton. And and of isn't course... it weird
1: the Broncos like... Because you think of the Denver Broncos automatically as like this relevant team, and they really haven't been for the 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 fact they suck is the only thing that makes them relevant right now, right?
3: Yes, that and the fact that they have a quarterback that they invested a ton in, gave up a ton to get that, and a, and a coach they invested can't find. A ton in and too, yes, right? not even getting to their head coach and Sean. Payton. All right,
1: we'll we'll put a line out to Denver, um, Jimmy. Who would you pick? What city?
3: Where should we go? It's like we got to take a stop in Chicago, right? You got all that potential controversy surrounding the bulls the other day with the players only meeting after one game and whether or not they're going to be looking for a new quarterback come draft time in uh april
1: okay that's not bad um i should call my buddy mac mac ingle who i grew up with he's a writer for the fort worth star telegram and he's been all over the world series so we'll Maybe see if Matt can do it, too. Yeah. But anyway, we'll do that sometime in the 2 o'clock hour. We shall do that. But we will begin with last night in the NFL. Of course, you know, there's a lot going on last night. Some NBA action as well. But did you watch much of the Thursday night game? I have a question
3: about that broadcast. Not a ton of it. So maybe the question's better for Eddie then. Eddie? Eddie?
2: I watched uh, a little bit of the first half. Mainly, I watched the, the Bucks because I want to see how they look with uh, Damian Lillard. But once they went to halftime, I switched over to the football game. And I think I watched that till the end and then switched it over to uh, Suns-Lakers. So, wait a minute.
1: You missed the end of the like the one-point game for the Bucks game? With Damian Lillard had, what, what do you have, 39?
2: I had that on my phone, so I should say I had both on at one point. But I did not miss the end of that. The...
1: I'm curious. I'm going to ask you guys a question that I have asked before in different areas about this because I will admit to being a little. I'm not technologically naive. It's not that. I'm more technologically ambivalent. I'm just kind of like, yeah, whatever. Like, I don't need the stuff that, you know, everybody likes. You got to get this lit. Like, the iPhone's a prime example, right? Sure. It's not that I don't know how to operate it. I'm just like, it doesn't impact me that much. Kudos. I mean, if you like it, that's cool. But the. Did anybody else last night, it very well could be operator error. It very well could be the provider in terms of what's coming into the house. Maybe the equipment or, or whatever isn't up to speed. I don't know. But last night, the Amazon broadcast looked ve- looked like it was buffering a lot.
3: Okay. Yeah. So that's, I don't need to have seen last night to weigh in on this because that's been a problem with a lot of people Uh, i don't know if it's the servers that amazon is utilizing to stream it out there because it's not just people's internet connection because i've heard it from too many people that have too many different providers and not just locally i've heard it nationally on twitter as well it looks like yeah you're exactly right a video that you're trying to load that is still playing because it's a live video but it looks like it's it's buffering like 2007 like it it it, it almost
1: looks like you're watching it like there it, like it's in like the film is coming through like like there's a wrinkle in the film yes. or like a water yep. like like the film got water on it and it's like the wrinkled pages of a book it's like what is going on here yes it's not it's not accentuated enough where you immediately recognize it and then you're like this is something just looks weird and look the reality is for Amazon Prime for the amount of money that they spent on the NFL for the amount of promotion they did and for the fact that they got people to sign up for prime video based upon the nfl broadcast they got to get that figured out yes they do period i mean if you're paying for that because i i've mentioned before as a a shopper of amazon prime i mean i have a prime membership but but not all the time don't get me wrong but with an increased frequency the things that i order that are like this will be there by Tuesday. I'm like perfect. I need it Wednesday afternoon and it's coming on Tuesday. And then Monday night I get a thing that's like your order is delayed. It now will arrive on Friday. Well, I don't that doesn't do me any good now. It's irrelevant. And that seems to be happening happening with an increased frequency. So, between those two things, man, people got to get that they got to get that figured out.
3: I'm surprised there's not more of a outcry about it because like Amazon has some troubleshooting methods with it that involves like resetting your router. Like you would have anybody do with connection issues or turn off your device, turn it back on, try to change a channel. But it's like I said, it's not just one person's home internet. It is multiple people. You see it on Twitter almost weekly experiencing that same issue for parts of the game. And for the amount of money they're putting out, plus the league wanting their product to continue to be viable on Thursdays and not have any user issues like this, something needs to be done
1: yeah I just think people don't have the patience man you know what I mean in today's day you got about two minutes to to impress people or else if the product's not where they want it to be they're on to the next th- in terms of what they're turning on their television and whatever else. like it's not my responsibility to fine-tune it if that makes sense. correct uh, Colts and Saints coming up Sunday Lucas Oil Stadium Jimmy we talked yesterday about some of the key injuries and some of the key players that have shown up on the injury report. Now, Eddie, since we signed off the air yesterday and since probably Kevin and Andy signed off this morning for the wake-up call, we now know that there is one player that is going to be on the field and practicing, practice yesterday and back in the mix today, that randomly popped up on the injury report, but it looks like he's going to be a go. And that player is?
2: Zach, uh, Zach Moss.
1: So Zach Moss, back on the practice field, it was a heel and shoulder injury, I believe, for Zach Moss. But Elbow. Uh, elbow, okay. Z- uh, heel and elbow injury, sorry, for Zach Moss. But going to be out there. But, Jimmy, I think one of the interesting things and one of the storylines to watch is this, and that is we have already started to see the, the increased reintroduction of Jonathan Taylor. And Zach Moss has played really well. But – Do you again go with kind of that 60-40 balance or does it go now from 60-40 to like 70-30 and then eventually 80-20 and then just a spot guy?
3: If he is ready to go, which it appears he is as they inch him along week by week on this workload and where they are in the season of what they still hope to accomplish, whether you believe it or not, which is making the playoffs, you need him out there at a full capacity. Like, I'm talking 90-10 in terms of your snap distribution. He needs to be, once again, your workhorse back with an offense that, and Jake, I talked to Eddie about this before you on the air. I want to get your take on it as well. I've seen a ton floating around, and I get it. It's a good resume point, but I've seen a ton floating around about the fact that Colts are the only team to score at least 20 points a game all season. That's great until you really look at it and you realize that, To get to 20, they scored 14 points in a game that was pretty much already out of reach in the fourth quarter against Jacksonville two weeks ago. They've turned the ball over eight times in the last two games. And additionally, they needed overtime when they beat the Ravens to get above that 20-point mark. So, like, it's a sexy bullet point when you see it. But the further you dig, it's like, I don't know how good this offense really is. The belief is that, well, they take care of the football. Look at how many points they could put up a game. Well, they're also three and four, and... You could argue in the last two games, the offense had just as much fault as the defense did for games you lost. So any offensive boost you can get, you need. And Jonathan Taylor would do that. So I'm, I'm tired of the handcuffs. I'm tired of the training wheels. I want him out there. I would like it to be a 90-10 distribution with him being the lead back again.
1: Yeah, I, I think part of you know the, the offensive numbers are a little bit enigmatic because like when you look at this game and, and I don't know you know New Orleans is and Kevin mentioned this this morning I think it's a good point the the oblique factor in New Orleans is probably higher than here right like the the panic button in New Orleans is probably even bigger than it is here because you have the quarterback running the show that you anticipated having from the get-go right and so you know there's not the excuse of well you know they're they're going to a backup quarterback and they had to kind of adjust on the fly and New Orleans is also but they have offensive weapons so one would think that the Colts are going to be aggressive offensively to try to score points but It does seem to me, or it feels like the Colts defense is coming into form now and really starting to, to build some momentum where the New Orleans offense, even though they have weapons, does not scare me.
3: The Saints have a ton in common, which is ironic because they have head coaching a swap now, right? Because he's the head coach out in Denver. They have a ton out in common with the Denver Broncos. Why? Because both teams, to Kevin's point, have that feeling of oblique we need to get moving or otherwise this season is toast. The problem is for both those teams. Well, I won't say both because new Orleans still plays in the South and somebody has to win that division. So maybe there's a little bit of a pulse there, but for both those teams, they ignored the initial alarm bells. They still think everything's fine with the quarterback that they have, but the roof is caving in and you're not saving them. Like they're the alarm bells might be going off in new Orleans. Nothing is saving them in terms of the position they put themselves in as a franchise investing in Derek Carr and the lack of like, they have some nice name weapons. Once you get past Chris Olave and Michael Thomas, I guess we'll throw Ivan Commander in there as well. They're not a good football team. We said this yesterday. This is a game. When you look at the Colts schedule, they are better than in almost every category and whether they're a playoff team or not, if you want to entertain those dreams, you beat a team like this. This is not Correct. like Cleveland where you have an out where you can say, uh, this is one of the best defenses in football right now, and uh, it's going to be a really tough game. I get it. Hang your hat on any given Sunday all you want. The Colts are a better football team than the New Orleans Saints. That's a good point. They should point. win this game. When you look, at
1: Jimmy, no matter what team, you're a fan of the Chiefs, okay? Yeah. You're a fan of the Yankees. You've seen great teams. You've seen title teams. Sure. Okay? I grew up a fan of... Indiana basketball Bob Knights era I covered the entire Peyton Manning era here I covered the Andrew Luck era I'll stick with the Manning era or the Knight era in Indiana when teams when winning becomes a part of who you are it is just expected and if you play this carries over for fans as well Okay, let me tell you a little story. Last year in March, we went to the Bulldog to watch the NCAA tournament on the opening night that both Indiana and Purdue were playing. Purdue was playing first against Fairleigh Dickinson. It's like a eight-point game. Fairleigh Dickinson takes like an eight-point lead with five minutes to go or something like that. And you could see most of the Purdue fans in the place were cautiously optimistic that we're gonna win the game and then all of a sudden it's like oh my goodness like wait a minute what's happening here is this really happening is the nightmare coming true and and you could see it right but more often than not like fans can feel that they can feel games change right they can feel those moments the better a team is not only do the fans just expect you expect Jimmy mean, when you're watching the Chiefs and they're down a field goal late in the fourth, they'll figure it out. You're exactly you're like you know what they'll, yep. they'll be fine. I mean, yep. get the ball to Mahomes, and we've seen this before. You become accustomed to winning to the point where in those tight moments, you just things balance out because the players on your team don't get rattled because they've been through it before in Purdue's case, for example, their players had been through disappointment before. And it was like, Oh my gosh, this is happening again. They hadn't become accustomed yet. They hadn't become used to those games being pulled out. And so you are correct in the fact that if the Colts want to get to the horizons, the Colts want to get to this year is all about a learning process. And part of that learning process is learning that you are a winning team and to do that, you have to first start with winning the games you're supposed to win. Mm-hmm. And this is one of them, right? Yes. This is one of them. And maybe they're not mature enough yet where if they get behind the eight ball, that they have that, that placid feeling that's going to carry them through. But this is part of the building block of eventually getting to that.
3: The NFL builds schedules with parity in mind. That is why if you're a bad team a year before or a non-playoff team, you are in theory going to get an easier schedule than somebody that won their division. That's just the way the schedule process works. The problem with that is, even though it's a league that is designed to have quick turnarounds and have teams go from worst or bottom of the division to becoming a playoff team, is if you struggle with that bad schedule... You learn a whole lot more about yourself than you do when you struggle with a high multi-division winner schedule, which is that maybe you're a bad football team. Maybe you're not as far along as you hoped that you were. So while, yes, you need to go and take care of your business at some point, losing consecutive games or falling apart down the stretch, and yes, the Anthony Richardson loss stinks, but the thought from some is that, hey, Gardner Minshew is still good enough to stabilize the offense. If that is the case... And you are a Colts fan that is still clinging to playoff hopes, you either win this Sunday against New Orleans, or maybe you're not a good football team and you're still a year or two away from being where you'd like to see them. Are the
1: Saints the biggest, like, afterthought team right now in the NFL? Like, what's the Saints' identity? Forever, it was Sean Payton, Drew Brees. Prior to that, it would have been like Ricky Jackson. You know, Joe Horn, like the Tom Benson running around with his umbrella. Like, now that's all gone. I I realize. I mean, Father Time's undefeated. But, like, what is the Saints' identity now?
3: They have a name and a couple positions. That's pretty much it. Like, Derek Carr, Alvin Kamara,
1: Michael Thomas. And Derek Carr's a guy that we still don't know who he is, right? Correct.
3: I, I still contend, and I agree with you, Jake. I think Derek Carr is a talented quarterback, I feel like he is a quarterback, though, that needs competency around him. Correct. And his two stops so far in his career have not been that.
1: Jimmy, some quarterbacks create competency. Sure. Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck. We'll see with Anthony Richardson. But there were guys, I'm not going to say any names. People around here know it. There are guys around here that caught a lot of touchdown passes that made a living as a wide receiver in the NFL that if Matt Schaub's throwing them the ball they're playing for the Florida Tuskers. If Aaron Brooks is throwing them the ball, they're throwing they're, they're playing for the St. Louis Battlehawks. But Peyton Manning throws on the ball and they're on the cusp of like pro bowl level season, right? And I thought Derek Carr when he came into the league I really did. There were a lot of things about him I really liked. I thought he had and I'm prepared to get totally mocked when I say this. I thought he had a Drew Brees tendency about him. And I simply mean this. His I, I liked his accuracy across the middle and his ability to kind of laser the ball where it needed to be, his poise in the pocket, and just his pure passability. And then I saw after a few Raiders games, like interviews with him and moments with him on the sidelines with his teammates, where he really did sell me on the fact that he was a leader guy that people rallied around, right? And yet, I would be a terrible general manager in the NFL because I would have bought into that and thought that if I could get him in my system, I'm the one that can change it and we can win. And at some point, you probably look at him and go, he is Matt Schaub, right? Yeah. A guy that that looks the part and is okay, For four or five games, but over the totality of a season, there are definitely some flaws there that have been exposed that have held New Orleans back a little bit. And before that, well, I mean, I shouldn't say that yet, it's early, but that held the Raiders back maybe. I don't know. Something's missing there, and I don't know exactly what it is. He plays with his wedding ring on. Have you noticed that? And that's cool, don't get me wrong. Uh, Carson Wentz did the same. Kirk Cousins also does it. Do you think that'd be hard, though? I mean, I I commend it, but wouldn't it, especially if it's on your throwing hand, wouldn't that be? Doesn't it feel like it would like affect your grip, or, or like if you get hit, like it, I don't know, like it just seems like a one more thing that could potentially like impede, like I, I would agree finger. with that, yeah.
2: Isn't it on your left hand? Well, throwing hand would is, be if it was two zero, right? I, I guess yeah, it is like your that.
1: left hand. Yeah, um, you're right. It's a, those guys are all probably right-handed. You're probably right, but even then, though, like when you're when you're back. You know, you're holding the ball with your left. I just moved my ring over. You're holding the ball on your left hand. You get hit or something, and it gets smashed against the ball. Like it
3: feels like it would hurt. Yeah, I would be if I was ever doing that. And that's a number of hurdles to clear there, let alone becoming in the national. Football Well, you'd be League. wearing a Chiefs ring. You, well, so it'd be weird right, when you're I'd be wearing my for the team's Seahawks. ring. I'd be wearing my team's ring that I was playing for. Right? No, but I would be wearing a like silicone based ring instead of a metal one for right. that same fear. Right. By the way, we talk about the schedule and where it's at for the Colts and how there's winnable games. If you want to be better than you were a year ago, if you want to be viewed as a team that is on the rise or that is is building in the right direction, with how their schedule's set up, maybe this is too tall a bar, I want you guys to weigh in, you sweep the NFC South. Like that, you, you take out the Saints, you take out the Panthers. Oh, you're right, yeah. You take out the Buccaneers. And you take out the Falcons. Like that, you should sweep the NFC South. I don't know if they will, but like that is that whole division is a who's who of these are bad teams we should beat uh, them like when you go
1: to the convenience store you're on a road trip you stop Yep. Yeah. and you go in to get like snacks mm-hmm. doesn't it feel like the NFC South is like the the offshoot weird brand potato chips line yeah yes. that, like that that kind of dingy dirty rack that's towards the back? of like offshoot brands and you're like what are these like cheesy whirls like what are these right (laughs) that's kind of what the nfc south feels like right now in the grand scheme of the convenience store of the nfl this division sucks right yeah the afc south probably not far behind that's what it was a year ago
3: a year ago before jacksonville separated the joke was nfc afc south awful both terrible and now because of the jaguars you don't view the AFC South in that same light because it appears, oh, they were a playoff team a year ago, and hey, it appears like there's some competence there. But they're carrying the weight, right? That's it. If the Jaguars were, you know, race with the Titans or the Texans right now, like a legit race, you'd probably still view it the same way. Yeah. I mean. It's the it's the NFC West from a couple of years ago, right? Like just awful. Like that one year when like it was the Cardinals, the Seahawks, and, San Francisco and the Rams, they were all bad. I mean, one of the funny things is, like we've
1: said, you know, the Dallas Cowboys are going to go on the road in the playoffs and have to play, like, at Atlanta. Yep. Really? <laughs> I mean, the the Bucks didn't look terrible last night, but I feel like that that game was more about Buffalo and who they're not yet than than Tampa Bay and who they are.
3: I'm starting to buy into the narrative that Buffalo is just a team that's going to play down to their competition every game. Like, are they going to play up or play down depending on who they play? Fair. Fair. Like and, and again, some of that is maybe a little bit too harsh, but we're starting to if, get a real sample size on, okay, they're not going to really pull away and put teams to bed. Listen,
1: my friend Scott Richards, my friend Greg Poley, uh others that if you, my friend uh, caller Ann from previous radio stops, I hate to tell them this. But if you, in the era of Josh Allen, can't get it done with the Buffalo Bills, it's, it's never yeah, happening. Yeah, for yeah. you. Yeah, and that's not to say that he's the end all be all. But when you're in Buffalo, I mean, to be able to hit like that in the draft on a guy that clearly is a special talent, and Stephon Diggs a good player. Yeah, they've got good players. If it doesn't work with this group, your window—I don't know how many more chances you're going to get because, you know, you could very easily go back into. I don't have to remind them. I mean, Rob Johnson, J.P. Losman on and on and on right sure
3: i mean i'm willing to ex- alex van pelt <laughs> i'm willing to extend ej manual through the entire josh allen era right like regardless of what happens with digs over this tenure i'm willing to say you have the entire era of josh allen but yeah you're running out of great years what franchise has had the
1: most other than the browns the most random starting quarterback roster of the last 20 years commanders the commanders yeah I will right, we'll look up this group of winners. I-, I was at the first ever start of Gus Farratt. Or the, the way. Browns. Yeah. Well, I said the Browns. The Browns are the criminal oh, criminal, my here, right? Yeah,
3: yeah. Commanders right, have so been there.
1: Commander's starting quarterbacks. There are probably some winners here, right? Yeah. <laughs> um who-, who was what Jason Campbell? Didn't he start for like three years? Yes. 07-09. List of Washington commanders starting quarterbacks. Here we go. It's a
3: solid list. Okay, what,
1: what year are we starting with? 2,000. From 2,000 on, you ready? Yeah. Here's this list of winners of starting quarterbacks of the Washington Redskins slash commanders. Brad Johnson, Jeff George, Tony Banks, Shane Matthews, Patrick Ramsey, Danny Warfel, Mark Brunell, uh, Jason Campbell, Todd Collins, Donovan McNabb. Donovan McNabb?
3: of coffee with
1: washington rex grossman john beck robert griffin the Third, kirk cousins colt mccoy alex smith josh johnson mark sanchez case keenum dwayne haskins alex smith again <laughs> kyle <laughs> allen tyler or taylor henneke ryan fitzpatrick of course garrett gilbert i loved him on uh leave it to beaver uh carson wentz and sam howell that my friends is a vat of mediocrity yep. right indeed it is and 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 again i am inclined to say and Regent brian will love me for it even though i haven't heard from him forever and so therefore i'm worried uh jeff george did not have a great run in washington but that was on marty schottenheimer and not jeff george i will say that i've had many a conversation from many an angle about it and i will die on that hill absolutely die on that hill uh we'll continue taking a further look at the colts and the saints on the other side and Scott Agnes joins us at one o'clock talking about the Pacers who get set for the Cavaliers that's tomorrow night when that game takes place you're listening to Aquarian Company 93.5 107.5 The Fan
4: life is so much more than a diagnosis it's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy all hits no skips Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at K-I-S-Q-A-L-I and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
1: Greatest band ever assembled right here. Greatest debut album of all time. Greatest album of all time. Greatest guitarist of all time. And... Greatest product of Lafayette of all time. Not named Nick Yeoman. Uh, Guns and Roses there from Eddie Garrison. We have, by the way, before we get back into talking about the Colts, the Saints, and the constant carousel for some franchises of quarterbacks that we kind of randomly got into, Eddie, I believe when it comes to college basketball, you have some of this. <laughs>
2: Indeed I do, Jake. On last Saturday, McKenzie Mbaco was arrested for trespassing and resisting arrest at Taco Bell. We had a little bit of that news break earlier in the week. Uh, Zach Osterman-Osterman, as Jake, has that mental hurdle sometimes as we've talked about. Uh, From the Indianapolis Star, says Mike Woodson, talking to media, says McKenzie Mbaco will not be suspended. He says we have to move forward, and he will play in both exhibition games for the Indiana Hoosiers and will play in their first game of the regular season as well.
1: So would that be the case if this were Anthony Leal?
3: Probably not. It's probably a two-game suspension or so for him. I want this noted. I don't know if it matters, and I feel like I'm being a uh, a mouthpiece for IU for some reason here, but I just want it on the record. Uh, In terms of what the official punishment ends up being for Mbako, it gets pled down, which again, Jake, probably doesn't happen if it's not. An IU basketball player gets put down to just criminal trespass. The prosecutor's office in Monroe County did not pursue resisting arrest. So, okay, but trespassing, I mean, regardless. But, but yes, he, no, it does not. He's it,
1: arrested it, for trespassing, correct, correct? And charged, right? Correct. I, I don't know. Admittedly, I don't know the full story. I, I will simply say this: I, I was a knucklehead when I was 18 years old. So I'm not by any means saying this makes him a bad person, a bad citizen. I don't know the young man at all. I do think that when you go to college, part of what you are sent to college for is to learn about how things work in the real world. And in the real world, when you have something like that happen, there are usually some sort of penalty for it and something is taken from you temporarily that is of great importance to you. And like, for example, the ability to play basketball but he is a guy that most think is probably going to be there for one year. I remember when Peter Jerkin and Hunter Perea had some violation of taking bumper stickers from a booster, and the NCAA suspended them for like eight games, and people were like, this is terrible because they're only going to be here one year. Yeah, because they're going to have to transfer to mid-Tennessee State where they're both going to still suck, <laughs> right? So the thought process is, I'm from a lot of people, like, well, he's only going to be here a year. We can't miss any games with him. I don't think that's what went into it in terms of the decision-making, but all I will say is this. For Indiana basketball, it's probably not a huge egregious error, but it was an error in judgment on his behalf and an error in behavior on his behalf. And all I will say is, for Indiana basketball fans who have long touted the culture of being different and handling things with a more iron fist, or with a more clear level of representation of the university and discipline, if that representation is not up to standard. For years, Indiana fans pushed their chest out about that almost to an arrogant level. And that's gone. You can't do it anymore. It's every other program. It's not a bad thing. I'm not saying it's terrible. I'm just saying that thing by which you, for so long, took such pride in, has long ago that that's long in the rearview mirror so that that whole culture of we just do it differently here it's not true anymore
3: i think that for the modern day iu fan me for instance i want to see them get back to that stage and win another national title like the fans of yesteryear do but i don't approach it at the same instance you can't it's the same thing with Notre Uh, Dame football you can't walk around and say like oh yeah we're the greatest program in the land no doubt about that well where's where's the where's the hard word to back it up
1: yeah here's the thing Jimmy what I'm getting at I I don't disagree with you and look I'm sure I just think that's half the fan base you're you're talking about it might be but what I'm saying is this even even students right now at Indiana sure that are 20 years old that have never known anything other than, like, scratching and clawing for a, an NIT bid slash Selection Sunday <laughs> yeah. 12 seed, right? Right. What they know is, they still know that at Indiana, it, basketball is the primary sport. Correct. And they know that there are five banners hanging up there that... That's what you rest your laurels on. Like, when you go to, you are a kid from New York City, or you're a kid from Dallas, Texas, or you're a kid from Riverside, California, and you're going to Indiana University. Yes. You know that that's one of like six schools in America where people, when you tell them you're going to Indiana, are going to say, Oh, are you going to, did you get basketball tickets? Yes. They don't say, Did you get football tickets? There are only a handful of schools where that's the case, right? Yep. And so, and for that, then you ask that kid, So you're going to Indiana and you got the basketball tickets. Why is that? And they say, well, because in Indiana, like the basketball program is like this religion because of this history and this heritage and this culture of Indiana that they, they got away from. They got away from it by going to Tom Crean. They got away from it by going to Archie Miller. But they got Mike Woodson now, who's a guy that is linked to this old coach that I think was on ESPN when I was in middle (laughs) school that apparently was a really great coach. But people loved him because the kids went to class. And when they played UNLV in the 87 Final Four, what you knew was one was a true student-athlete college basketball program where the kids don't get anything and they work hard. And if they swear or go to a bar, they have to run extra drills after practice or they get benched because they put for a calendar, right? Because Indiana follows every rule. That was what made Indiana different. That's what Indiana fans pride themselves on. And you are correct. It might still now be only 40% of the fan base, but... Those that are aware of that tradition and legacy are aware of the fact that that fan base had something that is unique that they are allegedly trying to recapture or sell people that they're getting back to. And while I understand it, the bottom line is Indiana fans that feel like and, 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 and expect that Indiana is going back to that squeaky clean, we play it differently than
3: everybody else rule book needs to find a new religion because that ain't the case. I would agree, because to stick with that religion, and I, this is not a shot at you, by the way, it's going to sound like because it's a team you root for, but you'll agree with me on this. I mean, this. I don't root
1: for them now. I did no, 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 25 no, no, years ago, no, no. yes.
3: not at you. Oh. The, the comparison I'm going to bring up is a team you still root for today. To do that, to take the approach of we're squeaky clean, we are going to go by the book and do everything by the book, and that's going to be our motto. We're not going to go to lower levels to win. You're Davo Sweeney sticking totally. by NIL. and Totally. And then, you saw what happened, yes, right? Correct. I mean,
1: already the world's passed her by, right? Yes. Uh with all of that said, also in the news today, Derek Queen, six ten center, top fifteen recruit. This is what Indiana wants, right? You want to be in the mix for those kind of kids. Um again from Monte Verde, California, or Monte Verde, excuse me, Academy in Florida, which is becoming a pipeline for Indiana. He has now announced he's down to four schools. Those four schools Maryland, Houston, Kansas, Indiana. There's actually a connection to Indiana historically for those other three schools. Maryland, you know, right, Jimmy? Of course. O2. National Championship game. Houston. Calvin Sampson. And Kansas would be this. Eddie, you mentioned one connection between Kansas and Indiana, right?
2: Yeah, that's where you went to school first before you ended up finishing it out, your degree at that's Indiana right. University. I only got booted from one of them. Um, but... I wasn't going to say that, but it was going to be nice.
1: Uh, Kansas, actually, 1940, March 30th of 1940. Indiana defeated Kansas 60-42. to Municipal Auditorium in Kansas City, Missouri for the 1940 National Championship. 1953, Slick Leonard hits two free throws, 69-68. Indiana wins their second national title uh, over B.H. Bourne in Kansas. So the Jayhawks. Kansas coming to Assembly Hall this year, by the way, to take on Indiana, which should be cool in December. Look, I, I want to be clear that people understand. I get it, and I... I- I like Mike Woodson, and I like the the trajectory of Indiana basketball. All I'm saying is, you are at 18, 19 years old. You are expected to make mistakes, and thus be disciplined for them. But Indiana, priding itself on being the program where those mistakes don't make place or don't take place, that's no longer valid. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Uh, we were talking about quarterbacks in the NFL, and just the carousel, right? The search is tough. And I think in Indianapolis, we're, we have become almost immune to grasping that. I mean, you went through it here like in for three years, and it was like, enough. And those were guys that were accomplished players. Phillip Rivers, Carson Wentz,
3: Matt Ryan, right? Yes. You went the veteran Band-Aid route time okay. after time.
1: Let's just pick one other one because it's fun just to show you how tough it can be and how fortunate even though he's out for the year it is for the Colts that even though Anthony Richardson's out for the year that seemingly they do have a young guy that is their guy right the New York Jets what year would you like me to start here Jimmy oh, five. Oh, 05 for the New York Jets coming off of the Quincy Carter Chad Pennington era Brooks Bollinger Vinny Testaverde Brett Favre Mark Sanchez Kellen Clemens Greg McElroy, Geno Smith, Michael Vick, Ryan Fitzpatrick, of course, Ryan Fitzpatrick, right? Bryce Petty, don't call me Tom. Back to Geno Smith, Josh McCown, of course, he's the Ryan Fitzpatrick light, right? Sam Darnold, Luke Falk, Trevor Simeon, you remember him? Yes. Joe, Joe Flacco, Zach Wilson, Mike White, and Aaron Rodgers. It's a pretty stout list there, right? Yes. Ryan Fitzpatrick, though, is my hero.
3: If you, by the way, if we're playing this game, and not to say that there's other franchises that have searched for a long time to find a quarterback, but if you're playing this game, the yes, you belong on this list is if Ryan Fitzpatrick. Pops
1: oh, up. he's the Kevin Bacon of the whole Correct. thing, right? Yes, yes. Now, and then I get a little self conscious about this, Jimmy. And, and you can be honest, okay? We're in the trust tree here. We're in the trust tree. Aquarian Company, we don't have an HR department because we don't need one. Because we're up front. Plenty of trust. We're honest. Yep. We get along and we're fair. Mm-hmm. Right. Am I the Ryan Fitzpatrick of Indianapolis Sports Media? No. You don't think? No. I've been I I I've worked like I, I feel like I've worked with everyone at some point and then been traded and or released a gabillion times.
2: I would say yes. <laughs> he's done everything, Jimmy. He's done TV. No, I don't TV. mean, it. I don't mean it that way. No, no, no. See, see,
3: but that, that's that's not the way he's framing it, though. I, I agree with you, but...
2: That's correct. how I'm saying I'm it.
1: not framing it in a positive. I'm framing it in like a... I've worked at every outlet at some point.
3: I would say no, and the reason is is that you have had, particularly in the radio realm, two long-term, like, multi-season stops.
1: Okay, fair enough. But at the same time, I think that I, like... You know, I'm I'm competent, but yeah, I don't, I'm not the franchise guy. Uh, here we go. Ryan Fitzpatrick stops Rams, Bengals, Bills, Titans, Texans, Jets, Bucks, Dolphins, and th- at that time, the Washington Football Team. Like he played with so many franchises. The last one he played with, they couldn't even come up with a name for it. They're like, just call it the team. <laughs> that's actually, to be honest with you, for Ryan Fitzpatrick, that's almost fewer teams than I would have guessed right
3: yes you forget as did i even just now that he did have a four-year stretch in buffalo before really the journeyman cape what about josh Josh mccown how many where all did he go
1: josh mccown's been a little bit of everywhere right yes is it josh or his brother which one's the one that has has had more stops because the other there's two of them right isn't there a luke
2: mccown there is but it's it's josh at you're okay here
1: we go josh mccown you ready Cardinals, Lions, Raiders, Dolphins, Panthers, 49ers, Bears, Buccaneers, Browns, Jets, Eagles, Texans. Man. That actually eclipses Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now, he didn't start in all those places, but that's impressive.
2: Luke, New Orleans, Atlanta, Jacksonville, Tampa, Cleveland.
1: I'd say between the two of them, they've got the whole league covered, right? Pretty much. (laughs) Now, I have said this before, and I'll say it again. If I was any of those guys, you know the absolute number one thing I would do every stop? I'd go right to the equipment guys and I'd be like, I need two pair of shorts, two long sleeve running shirts, one pair of sweats, a hoodie, and a jacket. And I would load up on free stuff. Like you, you come to my house, it's like, what team would you like to dress as? There's nothing like free gear. Party favors. In the NFL.
3: Party favors for your next gathering. Ryan Fitzpatrick just
1: throws lo- out I went trick-or-treating a-
4: at Ryan Fitzpatrick's house and he handed
1: us out Buccaneers pencils. <laughs>
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
3: Jake, last night, I know this shifts away from the Colts a little bit, but it does take us through the capper of NBA opening night for a lot of different arenas and Dame, Damian Lillard, I beg your pardons, return or debut for Milwaukee and return to the NBA stage is definitely the main story, but people talk all the time about, do we still have real rivalries or classic mashups or classic duels? First time in five years, Kevin Durant, LeBron James share the floor, and if you stayed up for it, delivered for a very exciting ballgame between the Suns and the Lakers.
1: Yeah, the, look, the, the Lakers, I... I'll tell you the story to me with the Lakers that is fascinating. And I know he's a polarizing guy, and I know it's probably not popular opinion. How old is LeBron James? 37? 38? And, like, you feel like he is literally—I mean, I think most people feel like LeBron James is holding on at this point to be able to play a year with his son, right? And I, I realize that there's that's a whole different talk show with Bronny James and USC and yeah. the health issue and all of that and whether or not he's even an NBA level player. But the what were, what were his numbers last night? I mean, for a guy that like people are like 21 th- good. I, I mean, for a guy that people feel like is just playing out the string, like. He was a good scorer when he was with the Wizards, but Michael Jordan the last few years there was just kind of playing out the string. You know, I mean, I don't have to to name off. There are a number of guys you could put into that category where you're like, yeah, they're just, they're clearly not the same. You know, Dwight Howard has done this for like five years in five different teams.
2: Derrick you know, Rose.
1: Derrick Derek Rose at least had the injury to,
3: to, to like put it on, right? Right. But what were LeBron's numbers last night? 21 points, 50% from the field, 7-14, 8 rebounds, 9 assists, 2 steals, 2 blocks, and pretty much 2 drives to the cup that sealed the deal. I mean, it's unbelievable. I know that people – and it's
1: it's it's tired, lame sports talk radio to talk about, like, is he better than Jordan, yada, yada, yada. I get it. We don't need to get into all of that. Right. But – and people want to talk about how they don't – you know, they he's – I don't know. I mean there are a lot of people that he has a lot of detractors. I get it. But but at some point you just have to say to yourself, it is truly remarkable what he has done. And we have been fortunate to be able to watch his career. Maybe it's not the greatest of all time, but it is certainly one of the most versatilely talented players in the history of the league. And a guy that spends and I know that he makes ten times this amount well, a hundred times this amount, but a guy that spends literally seven figures strictly to make sure that his body is ready for the season it's remarkable
3: the fact that he is still not only upright but scoring at a high level at 38 years old is remarkable and I don't have the stat in front of me but Udonis Haslam was the oldest player in the NBA a year ago I think he was 40 and that's the record for I think oldest player to actively start in a game or actively play in a game he was right in the bench the last two 42. years pretty much 42 42 he's 42 so again, that was the oldest player in the NBA year. Ago. I know it's four years that makes a difference, but even if you go back four years for you, Donis Haslam, he's not starting and well doing it, like it it's it's. He's insane. also
1: not playing in international events, right? You know, through a lot of those off seasons. There were a couple of years there where LeBron James had like zero off season, right? I mean, I people can say what they want. I, I get it. That you might you don't have to like him as a person. I don't know why you wouldn't personally, but that's a different talk show. But, but it is remarkable as a basketball player what he's able to do. Now, back to your other point about Milwaukee. I mean, how about the fact that Giannis is clearly a trans, you know, a transcendent level, unstoppable talent, and now you add to it Damian Lillard to take shots at the end of games, and to, to, to I mean, what do you have? Thirty nine last night. Yeah. If those two. If they can figure out, and I think over the course of the year, what's going to be interesting to watch is whether or not, and I have no reason to believe Giannis won't be this kind of guy, but is Giannis cool with being with a ball-dominant player? And if he is, it's pretty good, right?
3: Yeah. In the era of duos, which is kind of what it is around the NBA right now the last couple of years, if they're able to make that work, it's going to be very, very potent. You remember NBA Jam? Oh, yeah. Love NBA Jam.
1: I mean, that's kind of what the league's become, right? Correct. Yes. Put out your two best players. Yes. Now, that's not he's on fire. Was that? Was That, that wasn't no, NBA no, yeah. Jam, right? Yeah. 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 He is on fire. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yes, guys, yep. the Nets are firing up. In Flego. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. Right, from whole 50 nine. feet yep. away, yep. Yep. the whole deal. Yes. That's that's what the league's become. But it's, it's fun. It's fun to watch. Speaking of the NBA, Scott Agnes covers it, talking about the Pacers, and joins us next.
4: By the way. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
1: By the way, looking forward to it. Twenty-four hours from right now, twenty-three hours for that matter. Uh, I'll be out at Horseshoe Indianapolis, just off I seventy-four in Shelbyville, my initial hometown, by the way, Shelbyville, Indiana, my first ever hometown. Uh, JMV and I broadcasting tomorrow from 12 until 2 at Horseshoe Indianapolis for the fourth annual Champions Day presented by the Indiana Breed Development Program. So we are going to have a special show out there. Uh, I don't think I've ever done a show with just JMV and myself tomorrow from 12 until 2 o'clock. We would love for you to come out, join us, and have some fun. We'll be talking not only about the racing going on, but also obviously the world of sports. Tomorrow from 12 until 2 for Champions Day out at Horseshoe, Indianapolis, just off I-74 in Shelbyville. The ultimate gambling destination, of course, live table games, sportsbook, and horse racing. Love to see you out there tomorrow. Joining us now on the program, of course, Fieldhouse Files. You can read his work covering the Pacers, Scott Agnes, who I believe, Scott, I could be wrong in this because everything runs together to me because unlike the song we just heard, um, well, I like the song, actually. I get older and not always wiser, so I can't remember. This Is this your initial conversation on the noon show for the two of us or is this the second time that you've joined us and when i've actually been awake
5: yeah no this is the first time with with you two guys at this uh this hour and yes thanks to eddie for that bump (laughs) you
1: like that huh um all right let's hey nineteen eighty 1989's out today baby i I saw that eddie eddie was all about it yesterday right eddie
2: oh yes totally
1: okay had my chai (laughs) tea Mm-hmm. that's right you and your chai tea all right Scott let's begin with this uh obviously a dynamic debut for the Pacers in terms of the season 143 points uh what jumped out at you I we, we talked about it a lot yesterday but I'm curious from your standpoint what most struck you maybe even pleasantly surprised you about the Pacers in game one Yeah, the the things that didn't, obviously, the
5: high-octane offense, how much they're flying up and down the court, that was expected. That's all they have been talking about. I thought the the poorest start, especially defensively, a little bit acceptable, but also a little bit surprising given how much uh, of the emphasis in camp over the last three weeks had been on defense. More than that, though, Jake, I would say it continues to be Ben Matherin playing in, flow, in the flow of the offense and passing up the court rather than putting head down, attack, 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 which is what he's basically been trained to do. That's what he has known in the past, and they're trying to kind of break that old habit now that he's in the starting lineup. Can he be more of a facilitator? Can he play more within the, the randomness of the offense rather than get the ball, put ball on floor, attack, and maybe get fouled? Um, and then I would also say just the the efficiency in which Bruce Brown shot the ball from outside we knew he could shoot we knew he could be a threat from out there but if he can knock down more than a couple of three-pointers per game that'll really open up additional offense it'll open up spacing of the floor Um, so really it was Bruce Brown's efficiency and I thought Matherin's distribution of the ball even in the preseason that jumped out
3: Scott Agnes of Fieldhouse Files is our guest Scott you mentioned the defense and I contend that Cleveland is a better barometer or measuring stick for where you are as a team but I also contend that it takes more than just two games to figure out a team's identity. So let's stick with Washington. I too was a little concerned about the early defensive effort. The wizards aren't going to be a good team this year. You give up 120 to them. How long before we know if this is truly a better team defensively, or if they're just high powered enough on offense where they think they can just outscore anyone.
5: Yeah, I'm preaching patience. I'm going to say, let's give it through December. Like this is a, such a significant change. Now you do have a lot of continuity when the, within the roster. However, Many guys are in different roles. For example, Andrew Emhardt's not in the starting lineup. He's not off the ball. He's running the show now with the, with the reserve unit, with, with a, a mixed match of different guys. Buddy Heald's coming off the bench, but will still play with some of the starters. So for me, I always try to emphasize about 25 games, kind of let's get to New Year's Eve when they normally have a matinee game then I think we have a much better understanding of really every team um, here throughout this league. Uh, I, I think I, just talking with so many guys throughout training camp, a lot of things they were emphasizing about the defense is like Tyrese is like, yeah, I've never, I've never played it this way. This is, this is far different than I'm used to. So it's taken a little bit of time to kind of break those old habits and kind of emphasize with what they're doing, which in short is trying to run the opponents off the three-point line. Don't allow them to knock down three-pointers. And they did that quite well in game one. I think the Wizards were 9 of 24. You're going to win a lot of games if you can keep your turnovers down like they did just two in the second half, and the opponent doesn't even get double-digit three-point field goals. And the other thing is they're trying to switch everything less, like which has become more of the norm around the league. So in turn, they're really trying to take on – battles kind of in two-man groups so can they switch within a two-man pairing and and try to win that matchup um, and therefore get less out of position and hopefully be more successful
1: scott of the players whose roles have morphed from last year to this year the one that you think will have to have the biggest adjustment but let me rephrase that perhaps not only have the biggest adjustment in their role this year, but the one that may be the most prone to struggling with that adjustment would be who?
5: I'd go right to the same matchup, switching places. I think it's Buddy Heald and Benedict Mather. And and I think that suits them well just because right now it's a little bit out of place and they're asking to do things a little bit differently with a whole different group of players. So I think it'll be natural for there to be both of them to have – Their struggles. However, what we did see in game one, while Rick Carlisle trimmed the the roster, or excuse me, the rotation to nine man group, which is really what coaches want to be about nine or ten, it's always tough if you get outside of a ten man rotation. What they did do, though, was stagger when guys would go in, when guys would go out. And I think that could be a key to success in making it work because that way you allow for Heald to play with Halliburton. You allow for uh, some of the guys who had played together to continue on while also becoming accustomed with this new group. But, yeah, that that's easily the one that could uh, be most concerning or uh, most apt to maybe experience some growing pains.
1: You know, I, I thought it was interesting, Scott, in watching the Pacers. Scott Agnes is our guest on the hotline. In watching the Pacers the other night, I mentioned this to Jimmy and Eddie. I thought they really jump-started. They, they were kind of sluggish at start. They were down a little bit. And then when Buddy Healed came in is when, like, yep. this light switch went off. And all of a sudden, like, everything just kind of took off. Obviously, there are two ways to look at that. The first would be that's why he's coming off the bench. The second would be that's why he should start because that jump started their flow immediately when he was on the floor. Does that get revisited at all? I think everything is open right now, Jake. I really do. I don't think
5: much is kind of finalized, let's say, outside of Tyrese and Miles probably being your starter. And he's probably now maybe throw an OB there. But uh, I think as this season is about the future, it's about building and continuing to build on here in the year three of a rebuild. I think you have to consider that down the road here. If we get to kind of what Jimmy was alluding to – you know, let's give it some time, and then if it doesn't quite work out, they're going to look at the the tape. They'll look at the analytics, and maybe you do have to re, uh, come back and address that again. But I also stress, much like you see with, like, down at IU football, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have any, you do need to stick with a plan and give it some time before you make a significant tweak like that. But right now it's Mather in the starting lineup, and, and I don't mind that. I wouldn't be surprised, too, if it's sometimes you see them start a smaller – Uh, put more of a smaller, more shooting type lineup in there. And the other interesting thing I I think could be uh, down the line is to close games. Again, the first game was a blowout. We didn't see it. The closing lineup, if they want to emphasize defense or shooting, could be terribly different. The gap is so different that that could be an interesting storyline to watch once we get down to two minutes left in a game and they're down by three.
3: Scott Agnes of Fieldhouse Files joining us here on Query and Company. Scott, I agree with you. I wasn't surprised at the offensive output but I was surprised that it appeared as though there was really no lull considering that you added two pieces that played significant minutes in Obi Toppin and Bruce Brown for being first-time pacers and not having real familiarity with this roster were you surprised at all with the fact that there wasn't a lull against the Wizards or is it still too early to say well Cleveland's far better than Washington maybe we see that game too
5: well, a lot of what you see is offense be ahead of defense when you enter, camp, or when you enter the, the regular season. So you'll see some high-scoring numbers. Wait two weeks. I promise you go back to, like, per-game averages, and I bet they're five points lower probably than what, what offenses are doing to start games like I talked about, too, is like the Pacers and other teams. Their defense kind of builds, builds some chemistry and gets kind of on that save wavelength. That's easy offensively. The Pacers very rarely run sets. That's what they don't want to do, and that's actually talk about Rick Carlisle, who hits his birthday and just signed a new contract extension. That's where I give him a lot of credit over the last three or four years, how he's really evolved as a coach to the point where I was talking with Chauncey Billups and Eddie Gill about you know, what was Rick like as a coach early 2000s. And it was basically he is control of everything. He was calling every play. He was calling a play every time down the floor. Now if they run a play, oftentimes it might be Tyrese that sees something and it's trying to get him into it. And so, um, offensively, it's, it's so much read and react. And also, the other thing I keep in mind is most of the roster was here in September. Then they went to the players only mini camp down in Nashville. So that's one area where things are different than I would say recent years is these guys have been training together now for almost two months. If you include those off season sessions,
1: Scott, my apologies if this was already out there and I missed it. Uh, do we know the terms yet, the length or the terms of Rick Carlisle's extension?
5: No, we do not. Uh, they have been quiet on that thus far. So I have not seen anything and on either of those notes. It was, I would suspect however, that the annual number, uh, salary is increasing probably to fall in line as well with kind of the trend among coaches anymore. I think Monty Williams is getting something like $16, 17000000 now per year up with Detroit. And that's a, an obvious overpay, but they're paying for a lot more than just the coaching aspect and everything up there. But um, I'm, I'm sure he got a raise and at least a couple more years, but no, we do not know the terms just yet.
1: And, again, pardon my ignorance on this, his contract that he was working under heading into this year was to expire when?
5: After next season.
1: So okay. he had this
5: season and next season. Um, he was just past the halfway point of the four-year deal that was worth about $7.29 million uh, plus some incentives in his deal.
1: I thought the only negative, Scott Agnes, the only negative that I saw in opening night, and I realize it's maybe even absurd to bring it up because it is one grain of sand and what you hope becomes the beach of a career – but I thought Jarris Walker looked like a deer in the headlights.
5: Yeah, and but I I think that's kind of now what we had suspected in the last couple of weeks, and I say that too because several times during practice, Rick has cautioned, "Hey, it's gonna it's gonna take him a little bit. There's a lot going on. He's just 20. We're gonna uh, this is one of the benefits of you know having this depth that they keep talking about." Um, Sh- Shepard very clearly is ahead of walker in terms of grasping the system and their nba concepts but he's also more mature he's also older played four years at belmont so uh, i i am surprised compared to what i thought say in august but it
1: was not surprising given what we had seen in the preseason and throughout training camp did were tj mcconnell's minutes limited scott agnes in your opinion because that's more representative of what we're going to see over the course of the year or or because you have a pretty good idea who he is and what you're going to get out of him, and thus there wasn't the necessity to get him out there just yet because you don't need to see what you have.
5: I'd say the former. It's about, all right, and this is what I wrote about actually today at Fieldhouse Files is I was curious a month ago, what path would the Pacers go down? I actually know many people on the team were curious which path, meaning are they going to put the best group out there, the group that's ready to win today that – is most mature, that's the veteran guys, you're talking T.J. McConnell, maybe Daniel Tice is your backup big, who's in the best shape that he's been in in three or four years, coming off a World Cup gold medal of Germany. Well, those two veterans are out of the lineup. So that signals to me, along with Rick Carlisle getting an extension, being here for more years, getting stability and some future guarantees, it's reassuring that it's about the future. It's about building, again, towards what's next. So it means you want to see more of Nimhar. You want to give him more opportunity. You want to see more of Matherin on down the line. Um, And McConnell is great to have now, in this instance, as an extra. But um, that's a difficult spot. I don't envy that with T.J. McConnell or Daniel Tice or those guys um, who are 31 and ready to play. But it's a numbers game, and right now being a veteran is actually a detriment to what they're doing.
3: Scott, you were a part of the – press conference and availability when Adam Silver was in town in opening night and you had a piece on Fieldhouse Files against Scott Agnes of Fieldhouse Files joining us here about a change to the All-Star Game format, which maybe since you're on the Mm -hmm. beat nationally, you saw coming. It makes sense. He announced they would change from east to west or back to east to west. I beg your pardon, representation. But they also oust the Elam ending. Your takeaways from his press conference as a whole, but also the fact that... I, I liked the Elam ending. I thought some basketball fans did as well, but the fact that they make it about face now and go back to full traditional outlook for All Star weekend.
5: Yeah, I think it's really twofold. And, and you knew some kind of changes had to be inevitable here after last year's game, Jimmy. It was awful. Right. I, I mean, the fact that you even have a player in the game, a first time All Star, Tyrese Halliburton, who I asked after the game about the change, he goes, he smiled and was like, yeah, that game was trash. So I'm not surprised. It's like, whoa, okay. If you're having your guys say it in that way, you know changes are needed. How I look at it, one, is they're trying to make it something that's reasonable. That's not a joke. That is more competitive. That will draw more eyeballs. The other thing is you don't want to overcomplicate it and, and make it a gimmicky type of product. Keep in mind you might have people watching this NBA you know type all-star affair because of the star appeal. But then, like, what's this Ilamendi? Like, I know basketball, but I don't get this. And it's a target score. Like, Even probably people listening right now are a little bit confused what I'm referencing, and I think cleaning that up, trying to make it and go back to more of a pure model is what they're going to try here. Now, will this completely fix the competitive nature? I don't think so. Rick Carlisle mentioned maybe up the money, but they probably tried that. Um, I'm not sure what else you can do with all-star games in general. I mean, you look at the Pro Bowl, and it's two-hand touch flag football right now. Um, So maybe that's out the window for good. But I do like that changes. The other thing that I asked, Uh, adam silver about that i was curious about because i know players are wanting this even tyrese as well is to go back to wearing your jersey so tyrese would wear one of the pacer jerseys rather than this bland you know uh, all-star jordan brand jersey that would fit the market Um, and adam silver did not completely rule that out but he clearly noted that hey they have an agreement with nike that will not be changing certainly this year but it's something they are aware of and looking into
1: Scott, Scott, I, I don't understand. And these guys have tried to t- explain it to me a couple of times, but it took me seven times to get past algebra. Right, so we've we've got five more here attempts. Uh, can you explain to me, like I'm a second grader, which oftentimes I am, um, exactly how this in season tournament works?
5: Yeah, So it's it's not additional games. It's raising the stakes to games you are playing anyway. So, for example there are there are different groupings by the way too with four other teams in there the Cavaliers are one of those groupings now every time you play the Cavaliers it does not count for that so for instance when the Pacers at the Cavs Saturday night that is not an in-season tournament game the first in-season tournament game is next Friday in Indianapolis and one team from those groupings will advance on so that's why we don't know the full schedule um, for, any, for the teams in early December. And ultimately, at the end of this, Jake, there will be just one additional game added to the NBA schedule, and that'll take place in Las Vegas, the championship game of this. And for the final, I think, four teams, there is some money incentive in all this. So that's one reason they're trying to do it. And the general purpose of this is Adam Silver, who's a big proponent of, you know, soccer overseas, Premier League, all of that, is to try to add some kind of victory, some kind of in-season championship so that at the end of the year, it's not, did you win the title or what was this season worth? It hopefully could potentially lead to another different team celebrating this championship and then another one come the spring. But the only added incentive is money.
1: Okay, so it's possible that the Pacers in the championship of this would be win. Uh, December 10th, I want to say, in Las Vegas. So it's possible. So the Pacers on their schedule have like December 10th as TBD because it's possible they could be playing, say, the Orlando Magic in the championship of their in-season tournament, correct?
5: Correct, yes. And even if they don't reach that championship uh, or if they enter the main portion of the tournament – and then lose, they'll still play another game because every that doesn't count for the tournament just so that everybody plays their 82 games. I know this is this is one big problem I have with it is there's no streamlined way to explain it. So if you watch Adam Silver on his, all these interviews right now, I mean, you have Charles Barkley simply asking him to explain
1: it. And that's a huge barrier to entry, I think, right now. If you, Scott Agnes, were an NBA general manager and you had a ton of salary cap and you had a choice. You either had to accept James Harden on your roster or you had to eat your body weight in mayonnaise. Would you pick Dukes or Hellman's? Exactly. <laughs> You're exactly right. There's a
5: few players in the league that aren't worth the league minimum salary just because of everything else, and he is one of those guys, no doubt.
1: And he's a, here's the thing. This is what's weird to me about James Harden. He's a great talent. I, there's no question about that. I mean, he's a great scorer. He's a great talent. And last year, to be honest with you, Scott, I thought he actually played unselfishly. I mean, he, he averaged 11 assists a game last year. Like, he, he did facilitate for other people, but yet, and I don't know the guy at all, but he seems like a constant headache. Am I wrong? No, I don't think so. It's all
5: about outside of basketball, too. It's contract stuff. It's playing time. It's what is the team successful or not? Does he want to be traded? He's demanded about three trades in the last four years. At some point... You signed into that situation. You need to follow through with it. That's the
1: basis of a contract, is it not? Okay, so who would you, in your opinion, who would be a bigger headache, James Harden or Kyrie Irving? Yeah, those are the two I was thinking of. And right now, it it would have to be
5: James Harden um, just because of everything else. Notably, it feels like things have quieted down on Kyrie. And they're both Um, fabulous
1: talents. Don't get me wrong, man. They are both fabulous talents.
5: Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, I would not want either one on my team, though, for all those considerations. Um, and and I'd probably throw Ben Simmons on there as well. But if anything, that might be a talent issue, as we've learned, more than anything else.
1: Yeah, Ben Simmons is another one. Like, you remember when he was in college, Scott, it was like, well, he can't shoot at all. He can't score at all. But, man, he is unbelievable. Well, he but at some point, you got to score, right? Well, he can facilitate. No, okay. But he couldn't shoot. Hey. Yeah, he can get to the basket and lay it in. Okay, but can he make a jumper? Can he make a free throw? Right. Yep.
3: Scott, yeah, last, thing, last thing. Last thing for me. We know that the Central is going to run through Milwaukee. We've known that for the last couple of years. What did you think of the debut in Milwaukee of Damian Lillard and the way they were able to hang on late?
5: Yeah, I think what you're going to see, Jimmy, throughout the season is a lot of fans realize wow, this Damian Lillard guy is pretty good. <laughs> Just because how many people actually were watching on League Pass It maybe wasn't on national TV and tip time with Eastern TV. time zone I is undefeated. Whole new appreciation, yeah. right?
3: Yeah. Eastern time zone is undefeated for that very reason. I'm right there with you because a lot of us NBA purists will go and keep NBA League Pass, stay up for that nightcap, but having them in the East, yeah, it's going to be a quick couple of weeks where I'm sure Damian Lillard will be trending all the time. <laughs>
5: yeah, because then beyond that too, Blazers didn't have postseason success. Very much here in the last half decade, right? And outside of the market and the time and those sort of things, you've got to make that run into May, maybe into June, and they haven't had that. Therefore, the attention on him and appreciation, I don't think, has been there
1: as much as it maybe should be. Scott, tell me what you're working on upcoming here for Fieldhouse Files.
5: Yeah, I appreciate it. A couple nights ago, opening night, Roy Hibbert was back for the first time since 2016. So I was able to catch up with him. So I'll be writing about that. I also. Fans may not know this or remember, but George Niang, former Pacers second-round pick, well, he's still close with this organization because of Tyrese Halliburton. That's his best friend. So I talked to them both about uh, their relationship. You know, They both signed massive contracts this off-season, and they celebrated together at a house in L.A. and that sort of
1: thing. So that's a fun story I'll have before tomorrow night's game as well. A couple of Iowa State guys, right? That's exactly right. Brock uh, Purdy as well. Again, when you talk about the Pacers upcoming, not only can you read what Scott has to say, but 10.30 tomorrow on this radio station, Pat Boylan with uh, the Pacers. Uh, what, what's the name of the show that Pat does? Pacers Weekly, right? 10.30 yeah. tomorrow morning? 10. Uh, 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. You have 10.30 on the board there, Eddie, I think. Do you? Maybe anyway, I could be wrong. Is it 10 a.m.? 10 a.m. 10 a.m., sorry. My eyes are bad. Uh, and then, of course, most importantly, Colts and – or, excuse me, Pacers and the Cavaliers. Right. I'll get it right eventually. Uh, coming up tomorrow night on this station. Scott, appreciate the time.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you.
1: Um, I'm looking here. Where did I see it?
3: You, I think you saw
1: there you the go. 30 Pacers, Pacers Weekly Wizards. with Pat Boylan, Saturday at – yeah, you're right. You have 10 a.m. My apologies to Eddie Garrison. 10 a.m. is correct tomorrow. With that,
2: vindication. I work very hard on that board.
1: Well, it's it's a little. It's a, like seriously. My eyes are old. It's a little like little,
3: look. I a little bit bigger writing. I will I will go to bat, and this is in part because my penmanship looks like for
1: those who don't know. We have time. a huge board on the wall that Eddie writes in, in the back and, and lists everything that's
2: Eddie Garrison's penmanship like is impeccable. 72 font for you there. Is yeah. that what you need? Okay.
1: Well, there also is becomes the issue. Now, this is not the case right now. But sometimes when the sunlight comes sure. through, the glare on that is, is a little tough. But that's not the case right now. So, again, to repeat, tomorrow morning at 10 a.m., Pacers Weekly with Pat Boylan, because I completely butchered this earlier. And the Pacers and Cavaliers coming up tomorrow night at 7 o'clock and then again tomorrow at noon jmv and i are going to be doing a show from noon until two o'clock tomorrow so we look forward to that we would love to have you come out uh, on i74 right there in shelbyville for horseshoe indianapolis champions day we'll be doing a show out there from 12 until 2 horse racing all day long We would love to see you out there.
2: How many obscure 80s references are going to be made during the course of just this one-hour show? The
1: entire time. Okay. The entire time. And then after that, we're going to talk about Affirmed and Seattle Slew and Secretariat (laughs) and Cigar and uh, what was the one Brown? What was the one that, that the Triple Crown winner that was named for Brown because it was owned by UPS
3: people? Big Brown. Was it Big Brown? Yes. Yeah. Didn't win the Triple Crown it went for the triple crown it did right? what went but it didn't win you know i Finished was just in like eight.
1: You, I, I actually regret that we did not do this when i was just on that road trip and we went th- through queens and long island um i really wish i would had gone to belmont park just because not only cuz the belmonts you know a huge thing but um i am oddly fascinated bordering on obsessed with secretariat like there's nothing wrong with that unbelievable and like i've been to i mean i've been to where he was so claiborne farms in paris kentucky which is outside of lexington is where secretariat was sired he was not born there he was born in maryland uh, but he was retired and then his final resting place is in claiborne farms as well secretariat and this is like really morbid you know that, like racehorses, when they when they pass and they're buried, typically only this sounds so bad. The head and the hooves are the only things buried. Secretariat is buried in his entirety, which is like, needless to say, a fairly big plot. Right? Yeah, uh, but it's very cool. I mean, you can see like his, you know, his, the whole horse lineage is all there. Uh, it's very very cool and. There was a Derby winner, and I can't even remember the name of it, but, like, you go through Claiborne Farms, and they have one of the retired horses that's there is a Derby winner, and you can go and, like, pet it and get your pictures taken and awesome. whatever else. And one of the things that I found fascinating is they allowed each of us to go up and pet the horse. It was a – and I, I want to say this delicately because I'm not trying to be inappropriate or funny or whatever else, but they warned – that the racehorses especially now that are basically retired to stud they when when each of us would go up to get a picture taken with the racehorse i kid you not this is a true story they warned us ahead of time or pointed it out just for the sake of the scientific fascination of it when when females when women were going up individually in our the tour groups like 12 people they were like you know whatever eight guys four girls when the four females the four women went up to stand beside him and get their picture taken he let's just say he had a physical reaction that showed that he was aware of the female pheromone as opposed to male. Kid you not? I believe that. Yeah, because that's it, science at work, right?
3: Science at work. It's going to be. Yeah, thank you. When honey. did you When thank did you go do that?
1: Thanks, Eddie. Uh, actually, I was there in. I can't remember if it was just. It was just at the. It was one of the first places to open up coming off of covid so it would have been like the fall of 2020 okay so it would have been orb that's it Yep, that's exactly who it was yep.
3: 2013
1: derby winner that's exactly who it was yep and you know secretary they mentioned did not have a great success um in ter- as a stud he, he did not have his but they did and i've told this story probably a good billion times but they told us there and for the five percent listening that care or have not heard it before i found it fascinating when Secretariat was retired in Claiborne Farms, he had a grazing pasture and late in his life, um, very late in his life, they, and I can't believe that I just completely spaced on the, on the racehorse that, that was the runner up to him, um, each, each Sham. leg of the triple crown. Sham. Sham. Thank you. Yep. Good Lord. Um, so Sham, who was the runner up to him twice and, and. And the Belmont ran with him through turn one and then mm-hmm. he pulled away. So Sham, late in his life, came to Claiborne Farms for a stud session and as they brought Sham in and, and Secretariat was... And they tell this story there. Maybe it's embellished. I don't know. Secretariat was in his feeding pasture. There's a long fence and they brought Sham in and they let Sham graze in the pasture next to Secretariat's and then kind of sat back to see what would happen. Secretariat, as they tell it, was sitting there, Sham came up, they're divided by a fence, they looked at one another, and then both sprinted down and back three times along the length of the pasture (laughs) before Sham then went off and went to his session, which is pretty cool, right? It's awesome. The whole story is pretty fascinating. Back into the
4: whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits. Long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: Colts Conversation Heavy in the 2 o'clock hour. Kevin Bowen going to join us coming up about 25 minutes from now. College football slate for the weekend. When you look at, like, I mean, do we even need to mention? I'm kind of fascinated by... And we haven't talked a lot about Purdue, admittedly. You know, we focused, I think, so much on the the train wreck that's been IU and Eddie snapping his fingers that we haven't really talked about Purdue, who is at Nebraska coming up tomorrow at 3.30. You know, new head coach at Purdue, I, I think they probably expected to get the Quarterback play, I think, probably is as much about the protection of the quarterback as anything else. But trying to snap a two game skid, haven't really had a whole lot to write home about this year other than beating, you know, Illinois. Votech, I guess, gave you a little bit of hope, but it's Vot, va- you know, Votech is not the Votech of old. But Nebraska, also, I mean, that's one of those games, Jimmy, that's fascinating to me because when you think of Nebraska, you're like, oh man, that'd be huge to win it. Nebraska, I mean.
3: When's the last time Nebraska... Right. Then you realize it's 2023 and that was 30 years ago. Totally.
1: Yeah. Nebraska... I've got sobering news for people out there. Purdue fans, I think, will at least appreciate this. Nebraska football is Indiana basketball. It's exactly the same thing, right?
3: Exactly the same thing. Huh? Uh, Which angle? Because there are similarities, but I would also argue that in terms of, like, it's easier in basketball... To be a part of the national conversation, okay. Nebraska of the foo- tournament.
1: Nebraska football. Let me, let me look up Tom Osborne. Okay, so Tom Osborne was the, of course, Nebraska head football coach and a legendary coach, a legendary beloved figure in the state of Nebraska. Granted, he's a Nebraska native, that makes things just a little bit different, but. Tom Osborne became the head coach at the University of Nebraska in 1973 and was the coach for 24 years. And in that time, he won three national championships. Tom Osborne left the University of Nebraska after the 1997 season, and Nebraska has been chasing it ever since. And then they went and got Scott Frost, and they're like, there's the answer because he is, a, we need to get a Nebraska guy in here. We tried Bill Callahan. We tried all these different coaches. It never worked. We tried Bo Pelini. We need to get let, – let's go out and get a guy that knows it, that played for Coach Osborne, and and take it from there. Nebraska has been chasing the Tom Osborne era for 20 years. And now they – you know, obviously now they're with Matt Rule. Indiana basketball. And Nebraska had history before Tom Osborne, don't get me wrong eight yard, you know or, or whatever it was you know three yards in a cloud of dust whatever else like nebraska had football heritage but tom osborne took it to a whole nother level three national championships in a quarter century beloved legendary figure recruited a bunch of kids from the state of nebraska and and then accentuated that with skilled position players from around the accentuating areas around nebraska bob knight at indiana 1972 takes over School that had history, had tradition. The Hurry and Hoosiers, two national championships. Knight comes in, recruits predominantly kids from area from the Indiana area, accentuates it with talented players from around the state of Indiana, wins three national championships in essentially a quarter century. Leaves, and then Indiana has been chasing it ever since. Different coaches coming in. We got to get a guy that knows and understands Indiana basketball, and now we found it in Mike Woodson because he is connected to Bob Knight. But in the national scheme of things, we are in Indianapolis, Indiana. When you look at Nebraska football, you think like, yeah, I know they were once good, but they're not necessarily in overpowering now. And that, I would assume, is how other states and other schools feel. That's how probably Nebraska football feels about Indiana basketball. They're like, yeah, I know they were good once. They're okay. But for Purdue, I mean, did you ever think that like going to Nebraska, it's like, that's a game you got to get. But if Purdue wants to try to – Get things going in the right direction. This is where they've got to start it. Right?
3: Yeah. I mean, if they want to make a bull game this year, it, it's, it's now or never, right? Like if you don't get it against Nebraska, you look the rest of your schedule. They're not beating Michigan, still have Northwestern, still have IU, still have Minnesota, and they're at what? Three? Two wins. Two wins this year. So, yeah. It, for this season, bull hopes, this is it. This is your run. You have the game still to do it on schedule. You fall at Nebraska, then it's curtains and. Enjoy time at home in the office. I mean,
1: the odds are really slim they're going to make a bowl, obviously. I mean, sure. you got Nebraska. They have to have this one, let's put it that way, because they're going to go to Michigan the week later, and that's tough because Michigan already knows all their plays, right? And then <laughs> Minnesota, Northwestern, Indiana. Uh, Northwestern and Indiana are certainly doable. That would get you to four, but you've got to get Minnesota. Nebraska. I mean, you basically have to win out ex- excluding the Michigan game.
3: Not Correct. easy to do. Correct, which is... Possible, unlikely, but possible.
1: I would say, yeah, that's probably the best way of saying it, right? I mean, the, the areas where you you slipped up, I mean, you had to get Iowa. Syracuse really was – Syracuse isn't bad, but that, that was pretty egregious as well. Um, the overall slate of games like this weekend, there's not really like a knockout yeah. college football, wow, I can't wait to see that game.
3: This is like the last – and not that there has been a ton of these this year, but this is the last lull – Week, if you will. Oregon at Utah is going to be the big seller. Eight versus 13. But after this week, you really start to get into the final three or four week stretch in the countdown to the playoff where there's really a great matchup at almost any place you turn. Correct. Uh, Like Oklahoma, Kansas does nothing for me.
1: Florida State has Wake Forest. How about USC at Cal? USC in danger of slipping out of the top 25. Caleb Williams is essentially out of the Heisman race, right?
2: Yeah, I'd say so. There's even been some stir about him not being the first overall pick anymore either.
1: Well, part of that too, when he came out, I don't know if it was I don't know if it was Williams or if it was rumor or an agent saying that he also would want part ownership of a team.
2: That was all speculation. Yeah, that's what that I mean. was I mean, from he,
3: his agents like it. Yeah, that's I what know. I mean. I don't think he
1: came out and said right. that, but I mean, come on, right?
2: But like even still, he hasn't performed well if you look at his numbers historically against Top twenty five competition, like when the competition's been good, he hasn't been great. That's kind of, that's
1: kind of been USC the last couple of years, right? Yes, has it not? So who's your Heisman frontrunner right now? Still, Michael Penix? Penix.
3: Yeah, he has the Heisman moment already. There's still opportunities on the schedule to make more.
1: It it kind of feels like that's like Penix feels like it's teetering a little bit. Does it not? Part of it too, at no fault of his, and this would also be true of Caleb Williams. But the time slot in which they play, right? I mean, the you know Pac-12 after dark and all that. I, you know, it's 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 tough to get. Washington doesn't get the, the level of attention that USC right, does, right?
3: But they don't need JJ it. JJ
1: McCarthy's like on the fast track here, right? Sure.
3: They don't need it. The voters are going to be watching those games. Like, that I don't think matters as much. It might matter in terms of the national buzz of recognition of the Heisman Trophy winner, but he still has a matchup against USC, a matchup against Utah, Oregon State. Like, there there are still ranked opponents left on the schedule for him to make more Heisman moments after what he did against Oregon, which was in the primetime window two weekends ago.
1: You know what's funny? In reality, and I, I hate that
3: I'm about to say this,
1: Because I don't like the school at all as a football program. But the Heisman for a long time, and the Heisman Trophy, again, another one to me that's fascinating, right? I love the Heisman Trophy. The Heisman Trophy, for a long time, was the best player in college football. Then it morphed into, like in the early to mid-2000s, it became this weird thing where the Heisman Trophy turned into the best player on the national championship team. And that's how you end up with like the... Was it Jason White or I always forget it was here Josh Heupel that won it, but like one of those two and you know some guys you're like really?
2: Would you like to know who the front runner is on odds for the Heisman?
1: Yeah, I see that by the way. McCarthy, go ahead.
2: Yeah, Yeah. I don't get it.
1: Yeah, well because Michigan's walloping but, everybody
2: but he has a. it's not like he's putting up gaudy numbers plus
1: also jake well it's that's what i mean it got, kind of what i was going to say is the guy that truly should win it
3: is probably marvin harrison jr because he's the best player in college football
2: i would argue Jaden daniels for lsu too he's i think he's third on that list he's been sensational
3: mccarthy can't win it because of the science doing scandal right like
1: that's, that's right he's out of the running right that's right come on i mean that's they're gonna they're open gonna end shut. up
3: taking away the banners and then <laughs> reggie bush
1: the trophy now only because i haven't done it in a while and, and i'm so proud of it eddie please pull up for me the list of heisman trophy winners Okay, all-time Heisman Trophy winners. Okay, now I I turned my computer around so that you can see. I'm not looking at a computer. I can confirm. Yes, I can confirm. Um, I was born in 1972, Jimmy. Please give me a year. uh, Give me a year and a number one to thirty. So give me a year from 1972 to like of the 70s. Give me a year. Uh, 77. Okay, 77, and then give me a number one through let's say 30. Four okay well i was gonna say i'll do that number of winners okay since then 15 but but we'll just start at 72 because i was born in 72 72 is johnny rogers of nebraska correct eddie
2: 1972 yes
1: okay 73 is john Calab- uh john capoletti of penn state yes 74 and 75 archie griffin yes 76 tony Dorsett. 77 uh was hold on 77 i should know um 77 is
2: earl campbell right 77 is indeed is Earl Campbell. Uh,
1: 78, hang on just a second. 70, 78, Billy Sims. 79, Charles White. 80, George uh-huh. Rogers. 81, uh-huh. Marcus Allen. 82, Herschel Walker. Uh-huh. 83, Mike Rozier. 84, uh-huh. Doug Flutie. Uh-huh. 85, Bo Jackson. 86, yep. Vinny Testaverde. 87, yep. Tim Brown. 88, yep. Barry Sanders. 89, uh-huh. Andre Ware. Yep. 90, Ty Detmer. Yep. 91, Desmond Howard. Yep. 92, Gina Toretta. Yep. 93, Charlie Ward. Yep. 94, Rashawn Salam. Yep. 95, Danny Warfel. No. Okay, not, see, that's what I said. I start getting tripped up here, right? uh 95 give me the school Ohio State um Eddie George yes 96 Danny Werfel yeah 97 Ron Dane no what year was Dane 99 okay so 97 and 8 give me the schools
2: Michigan and Texas
1: um oh Charles Woodson I should have known that that's a Peyton Manning year and Ricky Williams yep okay then after that it's all a blur so I'm not even gonna try it but I take pride in that. So thank you That's for allowing, impressive. Thank you for allowing me to do my exercise. Uh, by the way, Kevin Bone, who's actually been through that drill with us before, joins us at two. By the way, I should.
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
1: Clarify real quick before we get to some Colts news. Um, Hey, Jake, USC is tied for most Heismans, and they play on the West Coast, too. I I, I get it, but what I'm saying is, like, Washington – USC plays a lot of games, you know, at – they – first off, the element of commercialization of USC versus a Washington is not comparable. But my point being, Michael Penix plays a lot of his games on, like, if the Pac-12 network's even still around, but, like, FS1 late, whereas USC is playing games, prominent games like – against Notre Dame they had one last week I'm trying to think of what game I was watching where I was surprised they played it was like in the middle of the the eastern time zone afternoon I'm like they got to be playing like 10 o'clock in the morning there's just a, there's a totally different element of the focus in the the conversation about USC versus other teams on the west coast uh Colts news from today Jimmy give me the latest
3: breaking news on the Colts front Colts have ruled out cornerback Juju Brents, tight end Kylan Granson, and tackle Braden Smith for Sunday's game against the New Orleans Saints. They also note in this article on Colts.com from J.J. Stakovitz. defensive tackle Eric Johnson second participated in practice after missing Wednesday and Thursday's practices. So give me the outs again. Juju Brents. No surprise, right? Nope. Kylan Granson. Braden Smith.
1: I don't think there's a, a huge surprise on any of those, right? Uh the good news would be that Zach Moss is in the lineup. He of course missing practice earlier with a elbow, right Eddie? And heel injury. Correct. An elbow and heel. And you know, actually I've got a an elbow, something going on with my elbow and then I I don't have the heel issue anymore cuz of the good feet store, but the elbow. You get a let me tell you, you ever had tennis elbow? mm And build your own joke, but I, but like I do, you could. I don't know what's going on there, but it's very painful.
3: I'm sorry, but um, I'm not playing in an NFL game for for the Colts injury report. Or at least what's on Colts.com, I'm going to take this as good to your point about Zach Moss. He's not listed anywhere in that article post that they reference. So I would imagine on the injury report, it's probably a full participant nod yeah. from him.
1: I, I think probably he was precautionary, right? right. Yeah, um, especially when there's an injury that you don't hear about at all until like midweek, and it's like, oh, he sat out. I mean. A lot of times, I would guess that that is just simply some sort of a precautionary measure uh, of keeping a guy out, and um, you know, allowing something to heal that 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 is nagging versus debilitating. So uh, that's where things stand. You know, Juju Brents is a guy that I did not think at the beginning of the year, and we'll talk to Kevin Bowen about this when camp got underway, and Juju Brents was not out there and was a slow. Arriver at camp then you you know you're thinking like well why are we overly concerned about a guy that's you know a rookie out of Kansas State and local kid you didn't think that he would be this impactful this early but I think he is I mean his 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 not being available I think is a storyline for sure and whoever would have guessed that out of a rookie corner
3: I thought that he would be But then when you saw how camp was flowing and it seemed like they were kind of easing him along a little bit, it's like, okay, maybe this is not going to be a start the rookie right away kind of thing. And there's going to be all these high expectations on him. And then he gets the opportunity and he starts to ball out and be a guy that's a key piece of this secondary. And then when he goes down, you're reminded of just how thin you were at corner to start the season. Correct. What I always say, Jimmy,
1: cell phones and sunglasses Cell phone chargers and sunglasses. Yep. That's exactly what corners and offensive linemen are. You can never have too many. Never have too many because you get one. And then sometimes you get one, you're like, this is a great value. Wait, it's a great value. watches? Uh, watches, you can also never have too many. But I'm talking about the things that you either break or lose. You don't break or lose watches.
2: Cologne? Like,
1: also. Never <laughs> can have too many, but you don't break or lose them, Eddie. Now, a cell phone a charger, you know, you buy one. Like, this thing's great. Works fabulously. It was five bucks. What a value. I should get three of them, and then you find out after two weeks. Now I know why they were five bucks. That's kind of like when you have to get yourself an offensive lineman off the waiver wire that four years ago played at Texas Tech, and is you know you're like this great (laughs) huge value signed plugged him in. Look at the size of this guy. Everything worked fine. (laughs) Then you're like, wait a minute. Now I realize there's a reason why he was available at the convenience store. (laughs) Two
4: o'clock.
1: Colts and Saints, Lucas Oil Stadium on Sunday, joining us now on the hotline to talk about that and more. You hear him in the morning, of course, with Andy Sweeney, the wake-up call with KB and Andy, Kevin Bowen joining us. Kevin, we'll begin with right out of the box. Uh, I don't think any big surprise in terms of Granson, Brents, and Braden Smith all being out. No big shock there because obviously they have not practiced, and I think we anticipated that. but. Of the three, the one that is probably the one that Shane Steichen, it creates the greatest curve for him not being there would be which?
6: Yeah, it's probably Braden Smith. You know, Some credit to Juju Brents, and, and obviously a lack of cornerback depth contributes to it, but I would put Juju Brent a lot higher on that list than I would have at the start of the year. You know, at the start of the year, any sort of Braden Smith absence, um, I, I would argue is one of the biggest on the team. Um, so, obviously, it hinders you offensively. I mean, we certainly saw you know a, a matchup that did not go well last week with Blake Freeland at right tackle. Granted, Miles Garrett is, fortunately for the Colts, not on every NFL roster. Uh, but at the same time, again, I, I do think Juju is a notable loss. Uh, you, you're kind of in scramble mode at corner right now. You've already lost Dallas Flowers for the year. Um, it seems like you're going to stick with Daryl Baker Jr. We'll see how that goes after you had already benched him. Earlier this season, and just in general, Juju falls into the Anthony Richardson category of you'd really like for a young player at a very important position to be out there on the field getting reps, especially when he's been as banged up as he has been during his rookie season. So, yeah, I would still put Braden Smith at the top of the list, but you know, Juju's not as far behind him as you know maybe I would have thought at the start of the year.
3: Kevin, the Colts are advertising and I don't blame them because it's a good bullet point that they're the only team in the NBA or sorry, in the NFL that scored at least 20 points in every game. But as I look closer at that this week, some of it's inflated because they got a field goal to win against Baltimore in overtime. And they kind of got garbage time, fourth quarter points against the Jaguars in that lost a couple weeks ago. They've also turned the ball over nine times in their last three games. When you combine all of that is this team really just a clean up the turnover game away from being a potent offense, or are they just okay?
6: Yeah, I think the stat is pretty impressive considering that Richardson and Minshew have each started multiple games. Johnson Taylor missed a month, and you have had you know to you know I think finally the Colts have kind of had normal offensive line health, which means guys are banged up, and you you have to kind of scramble a little bit there with that unit. And they've definitely had to do that here through the first seven games. Um, But as you point out, you know, it it does feel like, man, are they really like that potent? Like, is that stat, you know, would you rather be, you know, consistently scoring whatever, 20 to 25, I don't know what their exact average is, or would you, you know, rather have, you know, 70% of your games go over 30, like probably some of the top offenses in the league have um, so far through this season. Uh, but, I mean, clean up the turnovers is, is huge. I mean, if you look at last week, I and mean, they scored 38 points with four turnovers, I mean, that, that's got to be close to a franchise record, if not a franchise record, considering how many times they did give it away. Um, I still think, you know, there are some, you know, whether it's passing game and just that true, true explosive nature to it, you know, certainly getting Jonathan Taylor up to full throttle. But yeah, I think there are elements of the offense that maybe, you know, I, I, I still have to see a little bit more. But at the same time, I think that stat just indicates that Shane Steichen is a brilliant offensive mind. And when it comes to his play calling and his weekly game planning and all of that, the fact that you've consistently got to a pretty solid number through all seven games amidst all the personnel issues you've had, to me, it's a huge credit to Shane Steichen offensively.
1: Kevin, amidst this, I'll call it a retool as opposed to a total rebuild of the Indianapolis Colts, but in this new era... Of Shane Steichen and the Colts. Do you feel like we have been given a better glimpse as to who they can be offensively or defensively? On which side of the ball are they closer right now to being what we anticipate them being for the next, you know, two to four years?
6: Um, I I I guess defensively, just because, you know, we didn't we saw Anthony Richardson for 170 snaps. I mean, it, it, but then I say that, I'm thinking to myself, well, Shane Spiken is probably going to outlast Gus Bradley. Well, he certainly will outlast Gus Bradley here, unless, you know, both of them right off into the sunset. Together after X amount of years. Um, and just personnel-wise, you know, you, you probably are a little bit more stable on the defensive side of the ball uh, with some of those guys than you are offensively. You know, there's, I think there's still some things to add. And obviously, again, quarterbacks, you only got to see a, a, a brief glimpse of what Richardson can do on the field. Um, you know, I think defensively it's fair to have some, some questions, though, particularly at their inability to close out games. Um, I've been disappointed in just the lack of a pass rush from your defensive front as well. You know, last week when you talk about a rookie right tackle on Blake Freeland, you know, what an opportunity for Quiddy Pay facing a rookie right tackle in Dewan Jones. and Certainly credit to Ben Davis' product, but you don't see many day three picks – face a first-round pick pass rusher who's been in the league for three years now and for that guy to really be shut out all game long when it comes to, you know, even pressures or hits or certainly sacks on the opposing quarterback. So I do think defensively, um, while I guess there's kind of just less volatility going forward, if maybe that is a way to answer it, uh, but I still think there are some questions about that group, particularly closing out and with the pass rush
1: what percentage more as we go game by game like do you think eventually kevin bowen that we we will hit kind of the ceiling of the number of reps that say zach moss is getting versus taylor are, the, are we still in the acclamation period of transferring t- the offense more into jonathan taylor or have we seen the balance as to what it's going to be for the rest of the year
6: yeah, I, I still think you are to the point where you're getting Taylor to that bell cow status, and whatever that is, is that you know seventy-five, eighty percent of the snaps. Is it more than that? Um, I think Zach Moss deserves to have a series or or two. You know, each half, uh, maybe one and a half, something like that. Um, I think he's earned that, and I think it's important to keep Taylor fresh. I think it's important to like keep a defense a bit honest of hey if we can keep Ma or if we can get Moss in the game here or there, does that mean that Jonathan Taylor with five minutes to go in the game, he's at whatever, ninety six percent of his normal self. Whereas if you play him a little bit more early on, he might be at, you know, whatever, eighty five percent from the fourth quarter when a defense has hands on the tips and things like that. And that kind of goes back to that Jacksonville game a few weeks ago where the Colts came out and they threw it twenty five times in the first half. And to me, that's way, way too high of a number because Taylor and Moss is your strength offensively. And Taylor's career, if you look at his big plays, so many of them come in the second half of games. And I think part of that is just you naturally wear down the defense and whatever, that linebacker getting to that gap and you know X amount of time in the first quarter isn't maybe at the same level that it is in the fourth quarter. And that's when a little bit of a fresh Taylor – can hit a home run on you. So, um, again, I think Zach Moss still deserves a role. I mean, last week it was 50 50. Again, I, I would assume Taylor ascends to kind of that normal number one role. But at the same time, I think more so than any part of his career, he's got a backup he feel comfortable with. And not just like the Naheem Hines, you know, more of a pass catcher kind of gadgety guy.
3: Kevin Bowen is our guest. You hear him weekdays, 7 to 10 a.m. The wake-up call is KB and Andy right here on The Fan, of course, his work on 107.5, thefan.com, covering the Colts. KB, you follow this particular position group as close as anybody, and in a group that doesn't have a ton of standout names, of course, referring to Colts wide receivers, I would rank it in terms of most valuable weapons, specifically at wide receiver for me. It is Michael Pittman Jr., Josh Downs. And then Alec Pierce. And I save Alec Pierce for last for a number of different reasons because you're still trying to figure out, I think, what he is in this offense. Was the bar set rather low because of the struggles over the last couple of weeks? And then you have two nice games from him against Jacksonville and Cleveland that maybe you're overcompensating to say, no, there's real growth there from him. Or have you seen him finding what his role is going to be within the Colts offense?
6: Yeah, that's a good question. I I, I do think he deserves um, certainly you know, whatever pat on the back, however you want to call it, for the last couple of weeks because he's done it amidst you know big offensive days, um, especially last week. You know when you had Josh Downs go for over 120, Michael Pittman's got a quieter afternoon. You know Taylor combines for 120 on the ground and through the air, and then you know Pierce is able to sprink in, sprinkle in a little bit of what he did. And, and to me, it was a very kind of like fierce white game of he had the one deep ball on that free play on the third down and then a couple of you know things underneath and you've add that up and it's three or four catches and fifty and some yards, you know, to me that's not the end of the world. Like certainly if he does that on a pretty repetitive basis, you know, in no way are you labeling him like an outright bust or anything like that. And, you know, you can point to Colts wideouts and certainly Jake knows this with, with Reggie Wayne, that you know, didn't you know weren't kind of instant success on the field. In that first year, I mean, even Ty Hilton, you know, didn't have a huge, huge rookie season. And then once you know Reggie tore that ACL midway through the 2013 season, that was when Ty really, really emerged. I I still need to see just again more consistency in terms of okay, can this be a month? Can this be six weeks of you know Pierce is not just a one-trick pony. And even with Vincu in there, I still think it's important to consistently take shots down the field with them because that is his strength and. You know, when you do that when you run those go routes which is a large majority of what he does it keeps the defense honest and then it also allows Pierce to make a play And I mean hell you saw late last week in the, in, in, in the game you know when you're able to I think take those shots down the field you then make corners have have to behave for lack of a better term of like when you, it's just man coverage and it's a deep shot uh, and if you panic The whole world's going to see it, and Laundrie's probably going to be on the field. And that is something we saw Pierce do a little bit last year, and you can create a big play that way as well. Kevin,
1: I I know you miss this where it's early in the morning and I have to ask you the difference between a meme and a gif or a gif and then I have to ask you if it's a gif or a gif, right? I mean, I know these are the things that, you know, you you, you miss. So I'm going to – Sure. Yeah, I'm going to allow you to, to, you know – awaken your ptsd here um the the spider-man thing is that a is that a gif or a meme the the little character of the two spider-man looking at each other
6: yeah i didn't think i'd be in the liquor cabinet at 212 on a friday but (laughs) it looks like welcome aboard and they're here (laughs) crack it open Uh, spider-man meme right
1: is that okay so that's a meme and and for those that don't know i think most know by now but that's just two spider-man characters and they're looking at each other and the implication is that it is two people of equal power and strength that don't know what to do because they're going against somebody else of equal power and strength right is that that, that's jimmy you're younger that's what that's supposed to mean mean, right
3: effectively basically you're looking at yourself you're looking at a twin of you okay
1: so that said, Kevin, long way of saying is this Colts Saints game the Spider Man meme?
6: Um, obviously record wise, yes, but I, I really think that's kind of where it stops. I, you know, I try to get a pulse, and I know you, you know you guys did yesterday. Of okay, you know what is going on with New Orleans right now? How do the Saints view their three and four record? And it to me couldn't be further from how the Colts view there. Three and four re- record. Um, you know, I, part of it goes back to preseason expectations. And when they make the move for Derek Carr and they play in a bad division, they obviously are saying, "Hey, immediately we have the most, certainly the most veteran established quarterback of anybody in this division. Uh, we should be the favorites." And Dennis Allen, you know, of course, has you know been an NFL head coach before, and is going. You know, he's not a first-time head coach like Shane Steichen, and obviously Anthony Richardson has nowhere near the experience of Dennis Allen, so. I, or of uh, Derek Carr, so I feel like when you listen to Saints fans, or even just the general tone of Dennis Allen, like press conferences, there was a lot more panicky questions, uh, even reactions of you know drawing board type stuff. And the mini buy came at a good time because we had to reassess some things. Whereas the mood with the Colts, you kind know, of like happy go lucky at three and four, and which is kind of weird to say after two straight losses. Um, you know, And you could be looking at a stretch Sunday if you do lose. I mean, we've gone one and three in this you know, four out of five at, at home. But, again, I think a lot of it goes back to the preseason expectations. And, overall, I, I do think the Colts have played either it's better than what people thought they'd be at this point of the season. And you could even make the argument that, I don't know, maybe they should be better than a three and four record. So, uh, whereas, again, the Saints, they just don't feel that at all. I feel like there's legitimate questions about Derek Carr and the offense and he's been pretty demonstrative and coming over the sidelines and having disagreements with coaches, players, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they had an off the field incident earlier this week. I mean, when you add all that up, it just sounds, it it kind of is like the Colts last year almost with Matt Ryan of you made that move. You don't expect to be three and four. And for questions about Derek Carr and like, wait a minute, is he walking up the 18th hole here? Um, So I'm very curious to see how like, the pissed off Saints react to the, we're kind of mad, but we've also played really good football Colts coming up on Sunday.
1: You know, I thought you made an interesting point though, Kevin, to that point. I mean, earlier where you were, I think your phrase usually is like pucker up, but like there is definitely, things feel more tense with New Orleans. And as you know, I've been a believer in and defender of Derek Carr. And yet, if it doesn't happen this year kevin then i basically at that point i need to throw in the towel and say if it hadn't happened by now in terms of him taking off and being a franchise quarterback that that is the guy that takes you to another level if it doesn't happen this year it's not going to happen right
6: yeah and i def- definitely recall those conversations that you and i had and you know i know that matt taylor's always been a car guy we we had him on earlier and you know i think cars should you know, it deserves to be acknowledged for what he did with the Raiders. I mean, you know, think back to a couple of years ago with an interim head coach and all the John Gruden drama. I mean, that Raiders team got to the playoffs and, you know, gave Cincinnati really everything they could handle in an open round playoff game. So I still think you can, like, acknowledge that Derek Carr has had a nice career. I mean, it's not a given that second round draft picks turn out like he has had, but also sit here and be like, wait a minute. These first five or six games in New Orleans, they're not going very well. And I'm not saying it's going to all of a sudden flip, but, you know, Philip Rivers' first handful of games here in Indy, uh, granted it was a COVID year, I mean, they had some up-and-down moments. I, I think the Saints are really, really talented individually, and so it is a bit shocking to me that they've played this poorly. And, I mean, I, I watched last Thursday, and I was almost thinking to myself, are they about to put Jameis in the game? Like, is Jameis Winston about ready to get some action here? Because – Carr looked either hurt or just ineffective beyond belief. And then, you know, finally in the fourth quarter, things kind of woke up. So, I mean, did they need the mini buy? Did they need Alvin Kamara kind of in the lineup for a few games where they got going? Did they need their offensive line to get a few guys back? You know, that's probably what the glass-half-full look at the Saints would be right now. But certainly there's a lot for Carr to prove with this new team and those around him in the next you know month or so.
3: Kevin Bowen is our guest. You can follow him on Twitter at KBowen1070. KB, I am in the camp that the Colts are not a playoff team, despite what the schedule might present to them. I ultimately don't think they get there. But for those that do think they can, and perhaps even those that say they will, if I'm willing to put that hat on, for me, this game, and really the entire NFC South, which comes in flux over the next couple of weeks... Those matchups, starting with New Orleans, are games that if the Colts are a real playoff team, you either win it. Like for me, the, the bar is you beat New Orleans, or I'm done even entertaining the conversation. Because if you can't handle New Orleans, why should I think you can handle Carolina? Why should I think you can handle Atlanta? You're supposed to beat the teams that you are better than on your schedule.
6: Yeah, and I know we're, we're living in a little bit of a Sunday bubble, but I'd stretch it to the next couple of games, Jimmy. You know, when you look at, and you pointed out Carolina, New England, and Germany as well. You know, after Sunday, I mean, four of your next five are away from home. And to me, I kind of view it like the last two weeks, you missed out opportunities to beat teams above you, which would have sent a message and would have had great implications for, you know, Jacksonville two weeks ago within the AFC South, Cleveland last week within the AFC wild card. Now, you know, the NFL radar, no one cares about your games. Like I, Mark Sanchez is at Colts practice today getting ready for the Fox broadcast. Mark chances is not on the Fox, you know, a team like the Colts are flying under the radar here in terms of, you know, how much attention will be paid to paid to them uh, each of the next couple of weeks. If you want at Cincinnati to mean a lot in December at pits or uh, home to Pittsburgh uh, in December, I think those are back-to-back weeks. I and mean, those are two teams right now that are in the wild card picture, assuming Baltimore wins AFC North, like though For those to matter, you just have to quietly take care of business these next couple of weeks. And you got to string some together, and you can't squander it. Because it it is the fourth easiest schedule the rest of the way, if you look at it. And, you know, there are a lot of coin flip type games, Sunday being one of them. But in order for, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas and those games around that to really, really matter and have big-time implications, um, because you squandered the last couple of weeks when those games mattered more, based off the standings, you're going to have to win 3 of 4, 2 of 3, 4 of 5, something like that in order to you know have, okay, if you win here, you're in the AFC playoff picture, or you know that sort of feel to some of those final 4 or 5 games of the season.
1: Kevin, who did your son pick?
6: He has not picked yet. Um, I've had the Colts and Saints helmets sitting there on the kitchen table, uh was seemingly all week long and um yeah we just have been we have not we have not stayed on tap. We, we, we have not done a good job addressing what needs to be done and that is max bowen needs to make a helmet pick
1: now your your nephew used to pick now does he pick games too because he used to do the helmet thing right
6: well that's where i got the helmets from was him yeah he would he would do the helmets uh like in standings order and then he'd also like place out okay what's the week eight schedule and he'd match up all the helmets on his little nightstand of, you know, who all is is playing. So he has been a bit unhappy with me that I've taken the Colts helmet through the first six, seven weeks of the season. Finally, I said, "Is enough a, Enough is enough. I have bought myself, and, you know, Max can take over one day, uh, a $29.99 32 helmet set, which, <laughs> honestly, I'm shocked you don't have one, Jake, knowing how much you love helmets.
1: No, I have, okay, you know, the the old, it's the same thing, the little plastic helmets that you have. Uh, when I was a kid, you could get them for 25 cents each in the bubble gum machine at the grocery store. And I had every team, as well as the little uh, standing, they, they look like goal posts that you would put them, you know, and I broke them down in divisions. I actually still have them. I haven't broken them out in quite some time, but I do still possess them but some of them are like the old school helmets like bucko bruce like the bucks helmet you have i assume is the newer version right or the i should
6: not even newer the current version right yeah i'm imagining you and shane on your first date hey you want to come back to my place and i'll show you my nfl helmets here and we can pick out our favorite one (laughs)
1: I listen. I asked her. I go, "What's the best logo in the NFL?" And she goes, "Well, I really like the Seahawks." And I go, "There we go. <laughs> All right, hell yeah, pass the test." So, what time does the no, big I, unveiling I, come?
6: Well, I, I know we are we are a little late th- th- this week. Uh, I'm going to go pick them up from daycare here just a bit, and then hopefully uh, we will do it tonight. And then I, I'll probably tweet it out tomorrow morning or something. I'm looking at the helmets right now. I'm counting them up: one, two, three, four. Okay, so the Colts obviously have a white helmet with the you know colored logo on it yep. and jimmy cook i apologize right here for uh, going off the rails because shockingly uh, you know sounds like something that jake would do uh there's four other white helmets everybody else has a dominant color as their helmet if that makes sense okay uh, i guess white is uh, a, a color but four that are primarily white can you name the four besides the Colts?
1: the arizona cardinals ding the now again, I these are all the current like current versions, right? Because you're not like it's not Correct. the Jets, right? It's not the old school
6: Jets. It is not the Jets, although I would like that look.
3: Am I allowed to play? Go ahead, Jimmy. Go Throw on, one in man. the Chargers. Ding. Okay,
1: so that see, I didn't, the Chargers changed them so much that it gets a little bit difficult right. to like yeah. to maintain.
6: Okay, so there's we have one two left. Uh, we have two left. I would consider both of these teams to be quality teams in today's NFL.
1: Okay, two left. The Buffalo Bills? Did we get
6: a ding, Eddie Garrison?
1: We got to wake Eddie up. Hang on just a second. He, he, he didn't have crack. his chai tea today, yeah. Okay. So there's one Whoa, that we're man, missing. That loud. the loud. That sounded like the Liberty Bell. sounded like the mayonnaise plop, right? You
2: asked for a ding, and now you complain. Which is it? You get it or you don't?
1: Boy, we're missing one. I'm trying to think here. One helmet left that is predominantly white, and we've already mentioned the Colts, the Cardinals, the Chargers, and the Bills, right?
6: Quality football team. Dolphins. Eddie? Jimmy Bleepin Cook. Now how about this? <laughs> if you play that bell
1: five more times, it'll be three o'clock. <laughs> Four by by the way, I will tell you, the the teams that have a letter on their helmet will do that next time. All but right. the dolphins is a sneaky one on that. Ooh, do they? Do they now? now? Okay. Let me ask you this, Here, Kevin. Let me look. Right, well yeah, here's the well, thing. Yeah. Is, According is, to my set. Which which dolphins helmet do you have though? Do you have the like swimming dolphin or the jumping through the hoop dolphin?
0: jumping through the
1: hoop okay the jumping through the hoop dolphin fella is wearing a helmet that has a little m on it Ooh. look closely kevin can you confirm but, say that again the the okay
6: you well, have the you have the dolphin rocking any 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 helmet here hold on well, he or she you're
1: thinking and of this sure one
3: you're, you're thinking you have, of, you're thinking of that do you one you not
1: have the traditional jumping through the hoop dolphin no he has today's one. Oh, that's also jumping through hoop i guess you're right but okay. no helmet yeah, the old school one. He's wearing a hel- he's yep. wearing a little helmet with a little M on it. Yep, <laughs> you know. Okay. Uh, all right. Lastly, Kevin, the Saints defense. I'm not saying that the Colts. Uh, you know, we we mentioned the, the twenty game, the twenty point streak stays alive, right? Saints defense ain't going to stop them, right?
6: Well, the Saints actually, I think, have a pretty good defense. Um, I, I guess I went twenty three twenty, so I, I have the Colts scoring over twenty, but I don't. Yeah, I don't think it's like a slam dunk. Um, yeah, I see the Saints defense is, you know, pretty good. If, I I don't know. You could look at a glass half full or glass half empty. Last year, Gardner Minshew and Shane Steichen with the Eagles faced this defense and scored a season-low 10 points. Um, I know that doesn't, you know, maybe it matters a little, maybe it matters none uh, to, to Sunday. But, um, I mean, they're a defense that uh, has a guy, I think, at every level that is notable, Pete Warner, the local product. Yeah, they have a shutout. Guys, really I'll give nice them that through his NFL career. Um, I am curious, again, I I expect a good amount of Michael, or excuse me, a good amount of Jonathan Taylor. I am curious, like the Michael Pittman that we see on Sunday. Again, I I don't think he like overly talks, but he did do a little bit of talking after Sunday. And, you know, one thing I always respect about T.Y. Hilton is, and I always thought T.Y. was pretty low on the Diva wide receiver meter, similar to Michael Pittman. Uh, But when T.Y. did, talk and or wear a clown mask he like backed it up and backed it up big time and, and I go back to that playoff game in Houston when he wore the clown mask to the stadium and the first drive of the game it's third down catch third down catch and then like a 40 yarder that really kind of set the tone for the Colts winning that road playoff game uh Michael Pittman could have a really tough match with Marshawn Lattimore on Sunday you know pretty good corner does he feel the need? Does Gardner Minshew feel the need? Does Shane Steichen feel the need to, you know, pepper him with any extra targets, or do they try to get him going, you know, even earlier in the game? Uh, maybe not, but that is just kind of a curious storyline that I have for for Sunday.
1: Again, um, game getting underway on Sunday, Lucas Oil Stadium, Colts Saints. I've got, I've actually got 31-24, I think. Hmm. I, you know, I, I look at it this way. I think Cleveland's defense is really good, and Miles Garrett was a one man wrecking crew. And to your point, Kevin, they dropped 38 on it and they doubled up Cleveland's season allotment average of yardage. I'm not saying the Colts all of a sudden are, you know, Dan Fouts and Eric Coryell here, but I do think they have some weapons, and I think that Shane, I, I like Shane Steichen's offensive game plans. And so I'll give them a little more than their average. They, they keep the 20 alive, they go 31. Jimmy?
6: Yeah, I, I mean, certainly there, there's a lot that you can point to for that. Uh, I just think New Orleans' defense is not like that, that far off.
3: 24-20, Colts. Matt Gay Probably is fair. a factor. Probably fair.
6: Matt
1: Gay hit a field goal, a 60-yarder to extend it from 21-20 yes. to 24-20? Yep, exactly. Okay. All right. Uh, Kevin, we'll look for the video to find out who your son picks by picking which helmet he prefers. Have a great weekend, gentlemen. All right, sounds good. Kevin Bowen, again, you can hear him with Andy Sweeney. They'll be breaking down the game 7 o'clock Monday morning on the wake-up call with KB and Andy. All right, guys, I I had a brainstorm epiphany, right? I've given you a bunch of phone numbers, Eddie, and we're going to condense a bunch of – got a bunch of guys on hold, right? Denver, Cincinnati – or, excuse me, Cleveland. Chicago. We're going to work Chicago in. Yep. And then I'll call my buddy in Dallas – and we're going to work them all into one segment, which sounds weird, I realize, but we're just going to do bas- basically what we're doing here, what we're doing here is we're just we're just trying stuff out on the air, like as we go along. Like this is, this is one big science experiment. So we're going to try a new segment next, and then people can tell me if they think it sucks. Does that work? I'm down. Okay, we'll do it next. Appreciate the time on a. F-
4: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
1: Friday from Kevin Bowen, Quarrying company here, 935-1075. The fan, Jimmy, I decided that we're going to do a new segment. You ready?
3: Always down for a new
1: segment, Jake. Uh, Please put your tray in the upright position, okay? Thank you for doing that. Please fasten your safety belts because we're going to load up on a plane and we're going to go around the country. We're going to do it with two minutes from a number of different radio hosts, and we call it the Two-Minute Drill. Spanning the globe. It's the
0: Two-Minute Drill.
1: Two minute drill will begin. Dallas Fort Worth area. Mac Engel, Fort Worth Star Telegram. Mac, first right out of the box. Texas Rangers. You realized at what point in the season a World Series was a possibility?
7: Forty eight hours ago. <laughs> uh, that's because I think the idea of taking a sixty eight win team from two thousand and twenty two and putting them into the two thousand and twenty three World Series was a bit crack pipe stupid. So I wasn't buying it until the final out of Game 7 of the ALCS against Houston the other night. And then I knew, you know what, I think they might go
1: to the World Series. Okay, so is this basically a story of bats getting hot at the right time, or did they make moves over the course of the year, in particular from a pitching staff standpoint, to put them in this position?
7: A little bit of both. I mean, they've been. this is who they've been pretty much all season long, really since about the second week of the season. They, they were a first-place team. They spent a lot of money in free agency over the last couple of years to buy Marcus Simeon, Corey Seager, John Gray, some other guys that made a big trade deadline acquisition, and Max Serger, who only kind of worked out because he got hurt. He's going to be available, but he's not the same guy as he was five years ago. He probably wasn't three months ago. But consistently, this is who they've been. One through nine, that is a complete lineup. That is a very, very good lineup. They have two quality starting pitchers in Jordan Montgomery, who was a trade deadline pickup and Nathan Eovaldi, who's got a terrific arm. And then after that, it's kind of catch-as-can. Their bullpen isn't nearly as good as Arizona's, which could be a problem, but this is who the Rangers are. Really good hitting lineup with pretty good pitching.
1: Last question. When it comes to the NFC and getting deep into the playoffs, Dallas Cowboys, contender or pretender? Contender. By by every definition of contender for the NFC, not for the Super Bowl. Matt Engel, Fort Worth Star-Telegram. Appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks, Nick. Brandon Cristal, KOA Fox Sports Radio in Denver. Brandon, right to it. Right now, Broncos 2-5, and five, not used to that. Sean Payton, Russell Wilson, can they get it turned around?
8: I think they can. I think Sean Payton can get it turned around. I'd like to think Russ still has some good football left in him. We've seen more than enough flashes this year, but they've got the Chiefs coming up this weekend, and we just saw that two Thursdays ago. It did not go great. 95 whole yards, eight whole points. But you you didn't actually accidentally see Russ throw 300 touchdowns in Seattle. So I think there's still some good football in there, and Sean's just trying to unlock it.
1: The Nuggets go from the unusual situation for them of being going from being the Hunter to now the Hunted as the defending champions. Do they change in any way, shape, or form? How much do they miss Bruce Brown, who comes to Indy?
8: Well, I think they just get younger. They definitely miss Bruce on both ends of the court for a guy that really could, you know, be that 3-and-D guy and and, and – a spark off the bench on both sides of the court. They're young in their second unit, but they return all five starters. That was the best starting unit. I'm not just saying that because they won the championship, but the metrics will tell you that Joker and Jamal and company were the best starting group in the NBA last year. So all those guys are back. And then they add Reggie Jackson more full time to that second group, but a bunch of young guys, Christian Brown from the great university of Kansas. My alma mater is a big key to that. They like this kid, Julian Strother, who hasn't cracked the lineup through you know just one game, but they really like his defense and his three-point shooting out of Gonzaga, so he may end up taking somebody's minutes, but they are young with that second group. So missing Bruce Brown, and we'll throw Jeff Green in there, who's approximately 100 years old now in Houston. Nonetheless, when you've got that starting five and you've got Nicole Jokic, perhaps the best player in the league, you're going to be just fine.
1: Brandon Kristol, KOA Fox Sports Radio in Denver. Appreciate it, man. Of course, Jake. Jonathan Peterlin, 92-3, the fan in Cleveland. All right, Jonathan, tomorrow night it's Pacers and Cavs. Uh, Cleveland, the trajectory seems to be going high. What are the expectations for the Cavs this year? Yeah,
9: expectations are 50-win team. It's just now we're playing a sad game. we got to wait until the postseason to find out what this team is. Lost five to the Knicks, as you guys know, and that's really what the season's about. It's a couple things. It's trying to figure out, Can Donovan Mitchell be pleased enough to stay here long-term, stay with the Cavs long-term? Is J.B. Bickerstaff the coach? But then more importantly, does this team, when the bright lights go on, do they shut off? And so, uh, honestly, games like against the Pacers tomorrow night, not the highlights for this wine and gold team, but there's a lot to look out for still. Uh, Evan Mobley's offensive development, another one there.
3: Jonathan, what's the latest with Deshaun Watson, and can the Browns realistically contend for a playoff spot without him?
9: That's tough, okay, because in doing five hours a night and talking about the Browns, you'd think I'd have a better answer than the one I'm going to give you about Deshaun Watson. It's just nobody knows. They left us in the dark. I have no idea what's going on with Deshaun Watson outside of what we currently know that's reported, in that it's, uh, it's an injury that's four to six weeks. It's a baseball injury, the subscapularis, which is not a term I ever knew prior to a week ago. But the hard part here, guys, is that we don't know Is it's four to six weeks from – Four months or four weeks ago when he first got injured, or is it four to six weeks from three days ago when he stopped throwing a football for the first time? Like, it seems impossible that he's been throwing footballs this entire time and then he's going to have that one heal up. Obviously, if they win against Seattle this weekend, postseason expectations got to be there at five and two. It'll be really impressive. But how long can you do this with PJ Walker? They got to find another quarterback. They got to get more help. Uh, it's just a really tough, tough time right now for a team that. We're winning games, and the fan base is happy about that, but it's just – it's in flux.
1: All right, Jonathan, lastly, yes-no answer. Ohio State cleared a hurdle with Penn State. Is this the year Ryan Day breaks the streak, beats Michigan? No. Jonathan Peterlin, 92-3, the fan in Cleveland. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. David Kaplan, ESPN 1000 in Chicago. Justin Fields misses a game, Bears win. Question is, are the Bears getting close to turning the page on the Justin Fields experiment?
0: Well, certainly they're going to turn the page, I think, at the end of the year, unless he has a miraculous comeback. The guy has been, you know, nothing short of lousy in terms of his record. And for whatever reason, he struggles with his processing. Now, if Tyson Bagent goes out and plays great against the Chargers and continues to play good football while Justin's on the shelf, well, that question may be answered sooner rather than later. Cap, players only
3: meeting after game one for the Bulls. Surprising or par for the course?
0: Far for the course with this crew because they have Michael Reinsdorf, Arturus Karnaschovas, and Mark Eversley. That's their trio at the top. They're the settlers. That's what I've nicknamed them. They settle for mediocrity. You watch, what did Milwaukee do? We got to get better. Let's go get Damian Lillard. What did Boston do? We're good, but we got to get better. Let's go get Drew Holiday. What Chicago do? Got a couple bench pieces. Didn't tinker with their rotation at all. Why? because they don't want to spend the money, and they're the settlers.
1: What is the ceiling for the Bulls? Are they going to be right there around with Indiana, we think, in terms of trying to get like into a 7-8 playoff seed?
0: That's, the, for me, the ceiling. I do not see how this team can get into the top six. It does not compute for me. I just don't think it's a good enough team. I don't think they play well enough together. Uh, we've seen this movie, and they choose to run it back. Disappointing. David
3: Kaplan, World Series prediction and how many games?
0: Texas Rangers win it in six. I had them at the start of the playoffs, but I thought they'd play the Braves, the Diamondbacks. So that the lesson, all you Cubs fans out there, push your chips in when you're in the race. You never know what happens. David
1: Kaplan, ESPN 1000 in Chicago, capping us here on this two-minute drill. Appreciate the time today. Take that. So that's a two minute drill, and then Jimmy, you you understand what we do now that we're done. What do I tell you about deboarding the
3: plane? You want to exit in an orderly fashion. Yes. Well, not
1: only that, you, you it, don't stand up as soon as the bell dings, and please deboard the plane after the row it's in not front a of race. you has done it. It is not a race. All right. You're not going to unless you have a connecting flight, and then we kind of understand. But other than that, please exit in an orderly fashion, and don't look like somebody who probably doesn't return their grocery cart or have a dog voice because those are the three (laughs) kinds of people that are immediately sociopaths. Uh, We'll come back. We'll tell you what's going to happen on Sunday at Lucas Oil Stadium. We'll get Jimmy's picks, and we will also make our predictions for the Colts and Saints here as Quarry & Company rolls on. 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.
0: the jay cook plays of the day this is me all right i'm not a athlete this is my way this is how i win
3: today's plays of the day of course the friday extension as well looking at the weekend but for today we will take the texas rangers to take game one of the world series over the arizona diamondbacks and also no runs first inning is the play Today in the world of baseball, switching for the rest of the upcoming weekend, I'm going to scoop the six and a half for Utah at home against Oregon. That is my lone college football play in the NFL. Lay the seven for the Chiefs in Denver against the Broncos. Scoop the four for the Bengals in San Francisco against the 49ers. Colts win on the money line over the Saints and Jonathan Taylor
2: finds the end zone. Eddie, do you have anything? I do indeed, Jimmy. All right. I'm not. Taking the four. I'm taking the money line. Back the Bengals on the money line. I love it. Brock Purdy's not probably playing for them, so it looks like it's going to be Sam Darnold. Don't trust Sam Darnold. An extra week for Joe Burrow to get healthy. An extra week for them to prepare for this very exact moment. Give me the Bengals on the money line against the San Francisco 49ers. And additionally, I will take Corey Seager to score a run in this one. I don't think they're going to want to pitch to him, Arizona. And uh, by far the best player in the playoffs right now, it's not Corey Seager. It's Adolis Garcia. Mm-hmm. He's got 20 RBIs. Nobody has ever done that going into the World Series. So he's been a machine, and I like him to continue that. And that's how Corey Seager will score tonight.
3: I tweeted out Brock Turdy over the weekend, and Excuse some I tweeted out Brock Turdy over the weekend, and one of our listeners hit me with the uh, MLB umpire sending the ejection, which is probably fair. <laughs> it was a bad joke. By probably. the way, one of my like.
1: Not pet peeve, but I've always been fascinated by this. Mm-hmm. Is it RBIs? I, I would say the same. I would say like you know so and so so and so with three RBIs, but RBI stands for runs batted in. So could you have runs batted in?s It's it's
2: no. We've already. I think yes, Jimmy and I have had this. We've had this before. conversation. You're you're making the RBI like the the abbreviation plural to signify multiple RBIs if that makes sense. so But, it's,
3: but Jake's pushback is because I it's runs.
2: I understand, but if you're saying RBI, that's one. If you're saying RBI, that's two. Except for that, the acronym itself is for a plural. There's no technicality here with this, unless you're Jake Query.
1: <laughs> I'm just telling you. Uh, by the way, one note that just I just saw this, wanted to pass it along for Indiana basketball fans. Former Indiana forward Jamarcus Ellis, who was part of the group that Kelvin Sampson had, um, certainly a tumultuous group, uh, apparently passing away that according to his high school in Chicago, it appears as though he passed as the result of a car accident in Chicago. So sad news about Jamarcus Ellis, who was one of those, um, very good defender. I remember that at least my recollection of that. I could be wrong in that, but forward for Indiana, uh, sometime around 2007, I believe would have been when he was at Indiana. Um, but it appears as though Jamarcus Ellis passing away. So sad news for Indiana basketball. The other thing for Indiana basketball, uh, there's a top 15 recruit, one of those from the Monteverde Academy, I hope I'm saying that correctly, in Florida, that now has Indiana listed, Derek Queen is his name, has Indiana listed as one of his four final schools, Kansas, Indiana, Houston, and Kelvin Sampson, and Maryland. His final four.
3: One other IU Nugget, uh, the fan Twitter account retweeted this. You can follow him on Twitter at 107.5, the fan. But this from the Hoop Herald, apparently IU men's basketball has the most active players on NBA rosters in all of the Big Ten. So really? all the Big Ten schools, okay, most so active hold on. NBA players.
1: Active NBA players out of Indiana. Are you ready? Yeah. You have uh, Noah, Noah Vonley. Is he on a roster?
2: I don't have the list in front of me. It's not listed okay. on there.
1: Uh, Trace Jackson Davis, yes. Thomas Bryant, Romeo Langford. Jalen Hood Shafino. I
2: do not think Romeo Chase is. Jackson Remember, Davis. he got. Oh,
1: you're right. Yeah, Romeo Langford got released by Utah, nope. right? Mm-hmm. Um, is there like an obvious one I'm missing? Cody. Oh, Cody Zeller, Victor Oladipo. Is he active?
3: Uh, he's on an active roster. Yes, I okay. think that still counts. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, Noah Vonleh be the kind of curveball there because people forget about Noah Vonleh, and I'm not. He he had gotten out of the league, and then I think is back in the league. He's had kind of a circuitous route to the point of where he is right now. But that's an interesting stat. Um okay, we kind of tipped our hand there in terms of our prediction, score predictions for Sunday between the Colts and the Saints. But Eddie, we'll go back around it. Your prediction in terms of
3: score
2: is what? I've got the Colts winning twenty six twenty over the Saints this week. Okay. Jimmy?
3: Twenty four twenty Colts victorious over the
2: Saints.
1: Do you think I'm too aggressive in saying I think the Colts will score 31
2: points? No. Elijah this morning picked a 37-31 final, so no in his eyes.
1: Well, I don't know if that makes me uh, content or not. I would love to see that. I ran into Elijah in the hallway. (laughs) Now, Elijah does drink a lot of chai tea, I think, Eddie.
2: He's just an energetic fella. I don't think he needs the chai tea. You think he's Uh, an energetic fella? Oh, yeah. He's very passionate, very energetic.
1: I mean, that guy, like... He is nonstop motor. He could power uh, a city block. That <laughs> no is doubt, correct. about correct. That is correct. Thirty-one uh, twenty, I think. I, I mean, I think Colts fans would be thrilled with that. You're, New Orleans you're better has than some New Orleans. weapons offensively, but I just, I, I really do kind of like the way the Colts defense has come around. I just think that they, they're fighting their way here. I mean, they, yeah, they need to get to Derek Carr. They need to disrupt things and, and they need to make it interesting. But um, a score like that and make we'll me buy out. back in. For sure. the fans have being your they final. Drop thirty one. By the way, tomorrow, twelve until two, we'll be with JMV out at I seventy four in Shelbyville. Look forward to seeing you there at the horse track. And JMV is next. Thanks for listening to Quarry Company here on 935 and 1075 the fan.